I'm here with Christian Molinsky. Uh, I'd correct you, but I question my sense of self. And newly employed at the Netflix marketing department, his first gig was thinking up taglines for War Machine. Kelly Wand, what did you do to your first day of the job at Netflix when they asked you, Wand, we need taglines for this movie. What, what, what did you submit? Wait, that's the premise of me saying these? That yeah. I work at Netflix. Yep, because it'll yes, force you to, to move to America. Is that my premise for saying all the the catchphrases ever, yep. or just this one week? I had to do it for money. You're gonna have to find out, aren't you? Well, and I don't. Is, is Netflix tackle. releasing more movies this summer? They're they're always there's like 50 every week. I don't know. They just See, have all it the sounds, money, you know. sounds to me like you work there. That's true. I sounded like I knew what I was talking about. 50 a week. Finally, a movie about white people's problems in Afghanistan. <laughs> How did that go over at, at the at the studio there? How did they, they went with it? Okay. <laughs> they went. We should, this should be the title. <laughs> no, no, we already copyrighted War Machine. Uh, did uh, you submit any other uh, possibilities? Yeah, I submitted a couple backups. One to please the studio, and one, you know. Because uh, I was really stoned. So you have to guess which one's that from me. Okay. The kid from Where the Millers doesn't get laid in this either. Oh, do you think of him as that? I think of him now as the kid from The Revenant and from Glassland. He's in The Revenant? Is, is he the one that uh, he says, hey, Paul, why are you fat? It's Will Poulter. That's his name. Like, uh, Isn't he in The Revenant? Of course he's in The Revenant. Yeah. Did I make That's that too. up? As, is a uh, kid in the Revenant? I don't even remember yeah. that. He's one of the the part. Am I gonna have to look this up? Well, I know who yes. you're talking about, Will Poulter, but he's uh, he's also in that Tony Collette movie I've mentioned a few times with Jack Rayner called Glassland. Um, and he was I, cast to be Pennywise while that while while Carrie Fukunaga was uh, slated to do that to do it <laughs> Stephen King thing. He was gonna be our clown, but nope. To you, Kelly Wand, he's the kid from We're the Millers. So sad. He's gonna be Pennywise. Yeah. Yeah, that guy's great. I don't know why you're saying that as if you're surprised. I guess because you uh, think of him as the kid from the Miller. Where the Millers? Yeah, it's like the kid from Where the Millers is now Pennywise. Did you see Where the Millers, where where he yeah. is recruited to have oral sex with Louise Guzman? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's your that's your your frame of reference for that poor guy. So, so is that a prequel to it? And that's what, why he turns into the clown. You're asking me as a child, if he was if, abused by. Yeah, you think that I know anything about Stephen King books? I can't help you there. Well, you know we're the Millers. Did Stephen King write that? Oh, yeah, he that. did. Wow. Actually, it was one of the Bachman books. All right. <laughs> Kelly, yeah, so what was the one that? So I'm guessing that was the one you wrote when you weren't stoned. What's the What's the tagline for War Machine that you wrote when you were stoned? Tilly's best since Bride of Chucky. <laughs> That's the wrong Tilly, isn't it? Look, isn't the, I'm, not, I'm not a wizard. <laughs> I thought that, that was the, the uh, Jennifer was the uh, the uh, Chucky movies, and that Meg was more the more respectable actress who wouldn't do such a thing. Am I wrong about that? 
This didn't bother you when I said Franco's best since Now You See Me Too on <laughs> Alien Covenant. You went, yeah. James Franco was in Now You See Me Too. So good work, Kelly. And scene. <laughs> that Thanks. wasn't the one I wrote Stone either. That was the studio. <laughs> We're the Miller's kid, not getting laid. It was the Stone. All right, uh, yeah. well, in case the listeners can't figure it out, why don't you tell them listeners. what we saw this week without spoiling plot points like that Will Poulter is in it, that sort of thing. Actually, that's not a spoiler. That's the sort of thing you would tell us. Tell us more stuff like that, Dingus, about the movie we saw this week. All right, this week we saw War Machine, hmm? a 2017 American Netflix movie about Lady Gaga. It was written and directed by David Michaud hmm. based on the nonfiction book The Operators – Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> That's what the critics said. Actually, the whole title of the book is The Operators, the Wild and Terrifying Inside Story of America's War in Afghanistan. Which it's uh, not, by the way. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's misleading. Yeah, misleading. It is. Uh, again, this is by Michael Hastings, uh, which book comes from a Rolling Stone article by the same author. Um, it stars Lakeith Stanfield, uh, Eamon Hamducci, Scoot McNary, Tilda Swinton, and Anthony Michael Hall. War Machine is rated TVMA. Oh, for did Netflix. they do that? I didn't realize. Yeah, Netflix has this thing. Yeah, so why would they do that, Dingus? Kids, well, we know you want to watch this. <laughs> well, all that it means for Netflix, uh, it, it's basically given a TV rating. Uh, for Netflix, even though we're watching it, you know, as a film, and one of our listeners has a question about that, which I will get to later. I believe that's Nick D. He was a question about that. Um, uh, for it's design- it means it's designated for mature audiences only, right. probably because the F word happens three times in the first five minutes. Now, did um, they write that, or you observed that? <laughs> uh, no, the, I I looked up the. Uh, Sort of the parental like things that you have to like sift through on IMDb, as well as this, and then looking at MPAA as well to try to figure it out. But I think that if you suss out how many times the F word is used, it's pretty easy to to see this as an R. There's no nudity, the violence is minimal, um, so it's just the F word. Kelly, one, do you concur? Ben Foster just came into the room. He wants to read the uh, parental thing. <laughs> oh, good. I, I love this. All right, yeah, we can't turn Ben Foster down. If he's willing to show up, I'm happy to have him. Hang on, I gave him, give him the headset. He's looks okay. annoyed. Just turn your fan up so it covers the sounds. Uh, ben, that's not my headset. <laughs> we have fun. Hello? Wait, I forgot to give it to him. Hang on. During what he believes could be his final birthday party, Tony gets drunk to the delight of the party's attendees, but the chagrin of his friends. And the movie makes it clear that we're not supposed to like it either. He carelessly shoots bottles and watermelons with his hand jets, tries to drunkenly kiss Pepper, and antagonizes Rhodey. Elsewhere, Tony and others drink wine, martinis, and vodka, parentheses, some of which is given to a cockatoo. (laughs) Tony and Pepper open a bottle of champagne to celebrate her promotion. (laughs) 
we learn that Ivan's father raised him in a vodka-fueled rage. Goes. Thanks so much for that, Kelly. Well, I'm glad you thank, could arrange that. Thank you, Ben. You got confused because it was as Iron Man too, which has War Machine in it. Right, it sure. Brody, so. War Machine rocks. But that's a similar movie, so I think everything just transfers over. Right, parents should know that as well. Good. Okay. Also, oh. I just wanted you to know that Z Bone emailed me mm-hmm. that he's protesting the women-only screening of Wonder Woman by mm-hmm. having. A a homophobes only screening of Magic Mike tomorrow night in West Hollywood. <laughs> only homophobes are allowed in. See All right, Mike. Good. Thanks. Thanks for that. Well, women. <laughs> uh, a lot of rage. A lot of understandable rage. Kelly, why aren't we doing a Wonder Woman podcast tonight? Because I live in Germany and War- I blame Warner Brothers because every other superhero movie opens the same week, but this week it didn't open. It doesn't open for two weeks. You have to do the stupid ass mummy. First, then Wonder Woman. All right. Transformers. Is that the full title? The Stupid Ass Mummy? Yeah, and Wonder Woman's the only one of those I've only been looking forward to remotely. And it's the Tom. Uh, what, Tom So does not want us to see that movie. What movie? Which, I mean, the Wonder Woman movie. Why'd you say that? Why'd you say that? Because he hates DC so much. I honestly couldn't care less about one comic book company than the other. <laughs> yeah, the only reason I want to see it, I, I don't like Gal Gadot. Like, I don't, I'm not looking forward to that. But uh, it's, uh, still it's because they're all running around. Well, it's also it's Patty Jenkins who did uh, Monster, um, who's not, you know, it, it, is this just going to be studio product? Did she get to do anything distinct on it? But we'll talk about that in when two we, weeks. Two fucking weeks. This <laughs> week, let's talk about. A movie that is at 55 on Metacritic and 54 (laughs) on Rotten Tomatoes and does not have a cinema score rating because it didn't get a theatrical release. But I am guessing if it did have a cinema score rating, if it was – if idiots who saw it on opening night were pulled – There was an idiots-only screening. They would give it a B-. minus. (laughs) Ouch. Oh, that sucks. That's too bad for them. Big Uh, – just now in your mind. <laughs> I did invent that, yes. Uh, there's no way to uh, quantify the success of War Machine yet, but uh, Variety's coverage uh, suggests that it's a disappointment for net- Netflix. Um, a fellow named Andrew Wallenstein over there uh, wrote an article basically saying, hey, it was a big week for Netflix, but uh, War Machine was MIA. Wonder Woman uh, trances War Machine. Uh, and he suggested it hasn't created the buzz that it should have created, by this point, when it's been available for a week, and he also suggests this might be uh, this might spell the beginning of the ending of Netflix's interest <clears throat> in original movie content. Really? Uh, he speculates. He speculates that what happened is they came out. It, Beast of No Nation was a huge hit for them, and it was unexpected. Uh, it almost, you know, it got them Academy Award consideration. There was buzz for that. Not uh, everything's going to have hit like that. So what he suggests is that they kind of overestimated based on the success of that. They went all in with movies. They ended up with stuff like the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon sequel, a handful of Adam Sandler movies, so far all of which I've seen to brag about, Uh, and now now this – so what the guy at Variety was suggesting is that maybe that the, they're they're getting discouraged and this is going to be stuff that they ease back on. But I want to talk about when we get to over unders. Uh, well, 
Netflix is also releasing things that don't that they don't push as hard as War Machine. That don't have the budget of War Machine. That uh, I think are very good, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, Did you say you'd seen all of the Adam Sandler things? Uh, both. Yeah. There's one called oh, both. The- Ridiculous Six. Oh, you know what? I haven't seen. So okay, I've seen three of them. I, I saw the one with David Spade as uh, his high school Do-over. buddy. The do-over, yeah. I saw the do-over, and I saw Sandy Wexler. I did not see Ridiculous Six. I thought that was a show. Sandy Wexler? Yeah. It, it's a sort of a mockument. It's like about a, a talent agent in Hollywood who's all washed up. and they, they played, have a million. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. They, they played it as kind of a mockumentary, uh, It's and it's terrible. Um, but war comedies like War Machine, they're, ne- they're never blockbusters. There's no well, blockbusters. There, this isn't a war comedy. This, is, this no. is a $60 million Brad Pitt movie. Yeah, but it's not about no. I mean, Afghanistan's a bummer for a lot of people. Like, I don't want to see a funny Afghanistan. Well, okay, I see what you're saying. Uh, Wallenstein also suggested that uh, this is getting a little ahead of ourselves, but he wrote this, not me. Uh, He's suggesting that because it opens with so much exposition, because Brad Pitt is kind of being a little weird, (laughs) that people, the unique. The, the way that people consume Netflix makes it really easy to bail on this movie early on. <laughs> so he suggested uh, okay. a lot of people, because Netflix is basically a collection of DVDs you're thumbing through, and you click on them to play. And if you don't like one, yeah. it's super easy to turn off a Netflix movie That's and go on to something else. And also, furthermore, because it saves your place, it's even easier. Yeah. It's like, I don't want this right now. And like, I, It doesn't want movies, you to watch it. I have so many movies on Netflix that I'm like, oh, what is this? And I click on it and realize, oh, I watched the first 15 minutes of this a year ago. Go and yeah. gave up on it, and it saved my place. Should so, I go back and remember? No, I'll just keep going. So that what Wallenstein is suggesting, so Kelly Wan, in addition to what, what you're saying, is that maybe this was a not a good fit for Netflix, and it was super easy for people to back out of it. Uh, and it, it encouraged certain elements of it, might have encouraged people to back out of it in a way that wouldn't have happened if it had been a theatrical release, and you're stuck having paid $15 for a ticket, and you're sitting in the theater and, uh, and, but then and, it's dumb to just not measure that differently. It's not dumb to do it that way. It's just dumb to go, oh, people didn't watch that in a week. Well, that's also when – like Wallenstein is just writing on basically uh, buzz, and I don't know how he quantifies that. I, don't, I mean presumably he works at Variety and knows this sort of thing, but he doesn't specify what he counts as buzz or not. I, I think the fact that Netflix after its first week isn't talking this up a lot means they're disappointed in it as well. But – Kelly Wand, let's get into some specifics about this movie. <laughs> First, yeah. let's go ahead and have you – because I, let, why don't you just spoil it all for us and give us a synopsis of the events in War Machine as they really happened. If such a thing were to exist, hypothetically, yep. what would it be called? Machopsis. Jesus. Oh, really? <laughs> just try, you'd start with an M? No, I said a War Machopsis. No, you didn't. I said a war machop. You think I said machopsis? Yeah, yeah, it sounded like you said machopsis to me. You nope. just went to machopsis. We'll go back to the tape. I, I, I thought you were machopsis. making a play on David Michaud's last name or something. It takes a lot to make me go, what? You said what? And you still yeah. find a way to make me do it. Like, we can check the tape if you like. You know, maybe it's a Skype hitch. Why would I say machopsis? I thought it was a Skype hitch. That's the name of the synopsis for Machete. You said it really proudly, too, like machopsis. I can't hear you guys. Can you hear me? See, <laughs> that's how you do. That's acting, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Notice Dingus said all the words. He didn't just go, guys, hear me. <laughs> that's the difference. 
That's the Warbashepsis difference. <laughs> Warmashepsis. Scoot. <laughs> say the whole word, Kelly Wand. Don't say Scoot. <laughs> His name is Scoot McNair. When you call him Scoot, no one knows what you're talking about, Kelly Wand. Can you just say the whole word? You can't assume we're going to hear all of it in our heads if you don't say it. <laughs> oh, that's Scoot. your new logic. You should have hear it in heads. I don't need to say it. <laughs> starring Brat, <laughs> who's married to Eng. Not anymore. Oh, really? I'm really behind on this stuff. They're divorced. Yeah. Jeez. And so Ben Benifer. No one. Everybody's splitting up. Everyone's sick of it. Except I'm no reading way. the wrong parts of Variety. I guess. I okay. <laughs> Does that one blow your mind? Because you're really. Uh, I, I don't think I knew that. I really don't think I knew that they were divorced. I mean, I couldn't care less. But if maybe I knew it and then just immediately displaced that fact with something more important, like they're trying uh, not to make like the, like the name of Will Poulter, for instance. Maybe I put that in my head instead. I got the sense they were like, "All right, we'll tell them now. It's been true for a little while, but we'll do it now. We'll like slide it in so that people oh. don't ask us a bunch of dumb questions." Okay. But Johnny Depp and Amber Heard are back together. What? Man, I'm really behind. I knew they were splitting up because of his awesome uh, wine video that, that she made of him. That was great. That was very entertaining. I don't think he there's was, any such similar thing with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. That's so. how Jack Sparrow would be in real life, is the way Johnny Depp is in the wine video. He'd just be like an angry alcoholic. Fuck! Just like slamming shit. Does either of you wish that we had done the Pirates of the Caribbean movie this week? Never. Oh, oh Okay. I don't think anyone wishes that. I do. My um, kid uh, had a choice between going to that and the Diary of a Wimpy Kid movie, and he chose the latter. Well, if you've asked me, Tom, do you want to do a podcast on War Machine or Pirates of the Caribbean? Knowing what I know now, the choice would be clear, and it wouldn't yeah. be the choice that we made. Yeah, seriously. It looks yeah. to me like the interview, like the fifth Rogan-Franco team up. You're like, oh. No, guys, I've seen this before better. I could totally have watched the hell out of War Machine with those two in it. Yeah. Uh, there's that Miles Teller, Jonah Hill thing you might check out. Oh. And the Ricky Gervais, <laughs> Eric Bantha thing. Yeah, oh, God, that Ricky Gervais thing is painful. What is that even called? Where he, like, fakes war. being a, in a war correspondent? Yeah. Yeah. Kelly Wong, give us a synopsis already so we can talk about it. All right, all right. <laughs> By the way, the reason yeah, I I'll sit... tell you where you left off. Scoot, pick up from you there. Know, it's funny. I was laughing because I'd, I'd written down Scott McNary, and that, that was enough to make me giggle. Like, you just stopped reading the word in the middle. Right. Okay. That happens to me all the time. Get all corrected because Scoot's not a word. Thanks, Donovan. War Sheepsis. Scoot McNary leaves acting and goes into doing voiceovers for Rolling Stone. Esau, war, punish some religious freaks who blew up the World Trade Center. We made a bunch of our troops stay in Afghanistan indefinitely. It got boring, so we invaded Iraq, and a guy wrote a book about it, which HBO made a generation kill. But this is Afghanistan and Netflix. I'm not in the movie yet, but Brad Pitt is with silver hair. This is him stomping through an airport. This is his sidekick. He has black hair. This guy's character is that he yells a lot. This character's barely in it. This guy's in it a lot, but his only line's general phone call for you. This guy plays Obama from behind in soft focus. Dead ringer. This is Cameron from Ferris Bueller. He's playing the same character. This is Meg Tilly's face shape now. 
But mostly it's about Brad Pitt making faces like Tim from The Office. Here he is running in shorts. We had to CG those. It's based on General McChrystal. But for legal reasons, we renamed him Ed McMahon, someone who's dead, I think. Ed was what the Army calls a real soldier. He ate only four hours and slept seven miles a night. His men loved themselves, and he loved himself. Here he is in a meeting with an old man character in Washington. How you doing, Dick? Uh, yeah, I changed my character's name to Richard in this. Uh, <clears throat> I believe you know Cameron? <clears throat> uh, Sandra Bullock shot down having sex with him in speed in favor of gum. How you doing, Dick? Uh, it's Cameron. Now, Brad, to get a win here, uh, all we need you to do is take these red and blue line graphs from the beginning of the survivalist and turn them upside down. So towards the end, they're going up really fast. <laughs> can give you zero troops. Any questions? Only one. Let's win. The next day, a British guy is showing Brad Pitt a map on the wall with a bunch of pushpins in it shaped like a penis. He raises a magnifying glass and uses tweezers to indicate a microscopic dot in the far upper right corner of the wall, nowhere near the map. So as you can see, this dot here represents the part of the region that over the past eight years, our coalitions managed to secure, specifically where I'm standing and half of that trash can. He points to the rest of the map. Rest of this, this is Afghanistan. So now you want my advice, you just go back to the agent and tell him you want to do Fury 2, a prequel to Benjamin Button. A guy carrying a clipboard walks in going, hey guys, commissary says it's out of Kofefe. He steps onto an IUD and explodes. <laughs> an IUD. The British guy's all, damn. Gary was a good clipboard carrier. Not one of the best. But... Oh, yeah, General, got this telegram for you from Obama. It says, keep up the good work. Please stop calling. Any questions? Signed, Obama. Brad Pitt's all, only two. He doesn't say anything. The next day, a soldier shows him a poppy field. Yeah, so the locals grow heroin. It's not bad, actually. Can't they grow something else? Like, I don't know, something everybody loves to eat. Rutabagas. Yeah, uh, turns out there's some law where countries we invade can't grow anything Americans might eat. Otherwise, we're in competition. Best solution is just to have American farmers switch over to heroin, but he shrugs. <laughs> Brad Pitt's all, just one. One what? Question? That was one. So now you're at zero. The next day, Brad makes all the Afghan fruit vendors move from a street corner, gathers his troops there, and goes, Men, I've gathered you here today to tell you the same thing Catherine Hepburn once told Martin Short. You've got it. Now let's get out there and win. Keep your heads down and your enemies closer. Any questions? The black guy of the group saw. Hey, yo, what the fuck's it? You feel me? Uh, I can dig it, man. I grew up in Winneka. Now, can anyone here define the word it? Yes, virgin from where the millers. Uh, get the locals to shoot flowers status instead of bullets. I don't know, drink alcohol, hope we get reassigned, or Grenada. Brad sighs. He opens his copy of First Blood, the novel, and goes, Okay, let's start at square one. To win war, you have to become Now, who can tell me what two means? The next day, the angry character's all, This is stupid, Neri, goddammit, fuck! She writes for the Rolling Stones, shit! Scoot Neri's all, Hi. He shakes Brad Pitt's hand. <laughs> hey, Brad, big fan of Fight Club. Well, the Ed Norton parts. I'm writing an article about how stupid this war is. 
Well, Mr. Nick Berry, lols. If I could convince the Afghani people that having U.S. soldiers around is awesome, pretty sure I can turn the balls off some fuckwit from high times. Behind him, a soldier with a U.S. flag clipboard walks up to an Afghani kid and goes, Hi, what do you like best about the United States Army? The kid punches him in the dick and is sent off to Gitmo. The next day, an Arab punk comes into the toll booth and goes, Hello, Brad Pitt summoned me to be his token Arab friend. Sir, are there any weapons in this bag? Would you mind opening it, please? What did you say your name was? Uh, yes, on weapons. My name is Abu Mohabit Chamuta Nebula. I, wait, I mean, no one friend. I Behind him, Brad's all. There's my new little buddy. What's up with the USA? I'm going to name you Cato as a symbol of the relationship between people with different pigments. Now let's win this thing, or at least tie it. Yes, we tally can. He tousles the guy's Koran affectionately. His white troops roll their eyes. The next day, I'm a woman, and this is 60 minutes. They cut to the clock ticking for 10 seconds. <laughs> Indeed. General, one of your extras told me just now to ask you how often you speak to President Obama. Tell me, what did I just say? I wasn't listening. Well, the president and I talked once over the phone six months ago. Uh, he said that in true romance, he didn't think I was acting. And uh, in Cool World, I was too cartoonish. I'm sorry, General Pitt, but it sounded to me as if you just only talked for six months. The girl from the survivor. <laughs> <laughs> the girl from the survivalist looks up and goes, that's what we babies do, according to Tom. <laughs> cool writing, bro. The next day, Brad Pitt gets on a plane to Italy where the president has to shake hands with people in a line. It stops short when he sees Cameron sitting in the plane with his feet up. Uh, I think you're in my seat. Hey, hope you don't mind. Also, I took all your clothes out of your luggage here and put mine in. That cool? Look, Brad. Let me tell you what I think about people who like to win wars in Afghanistan. <laughs> Snickers and falls asleep. Brad Pitt looks over to see Scoot McNeary writing furiously on his notepad, smirking. Uh, you're going to make me sound cool in this movie, right? Air quotes. Huh? Yeah, totally. Greatest generation. When Brad Pitt wakes up, Obama's walking down a line of guys that he's standing in and shaking hands. He gets to Pitt and goes... I felt really bad for how your character suffered in 12 Years a Slave. Time must have been immeasurable. Well, bye. Giggling, he tickles Cameron, and they get back on the plane together, and it glides off down the runway. Pitt watches it leap glumly. The guy next to him is all, Wait, so we're walking back to Afghanistan? That night, he and his men hang out in an Italian hotel room. Brad Pitt's all, uh, Maybe to win this, we need to shoot more things. What do you boys think? Anthony Michael Hall looks up from his phone and goes, Hey, uh, an Icelandic volcano has just destroyed all air power worldwide indefinitely. What's interrupting? Ice cream? <laughs> we cut to Brad Pitt and his buddies riding on a party bus that says Semper High on the side. It's taking them to Berlin. Inside, all the soldiers cackle at drink and vomit, high-five swimsuit magazine interviews, and fuck their guns. While Scoot McNary shakes his head and writes in his notepad. These guys seem to have forgotten I'm writing an article on them. Do they think I'm as great as they think I am, or is counterinsurgency just a long way of saying surgency? Purple Gary yawned and farted. There's my headline. When he looks up, they're all sitting in a pizza place in Berlin. The soldiers are all drinking and screaming and dancing with pizza slices. The dumb guy that platoons all, hey guys, look what I can do. Some MPs grab him by the arms and march him off. 
the angry guy leans over the table at McNary and goes, and you know what else? Fuck Obama and the troops. If they close Gitmo, where am I supposed to stay when I'm in Cuba? Fuck pizza and Rolling Stones and people that support the troops. You can print that and misquote me. The dumb guy's brother's all, hey guys, look what my brother taught me. He grabs up a beer bottle and bashes himself in the face with it. The building explodes. In a limo later, Anthony Michael Hall nudges Brad Pitt in the back seat and goes, by the way, sir, uh, you're married. She's been in a hotel room for three days. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> when he gets to the hotel room, Meg Tilly looks like Mo Howard at him. He's oh. all, happy birthday, Meg. Wait, how old's my character? Oh, Brad, I'm so proud of you. It's been, what, two years? I'm just glad it's technically peacetime or I'd really never see you. Also, my birthday was nine months ago. He pats her purse awkwardly and goes, let's win this thing. At ease. The next day, in front of a packed auditorium, <laughs> Brad Pitt stands by a whiteboard covered with arrows between boxes filled with words in them like Jarhead, Rambo 3, Hurt Locker, Three Kings, The Kite Runner, The Sandlot, Star, Dune, and that Rashomon one with Meg Ryan. <laughs> okay, reporters, here's a little math lesson. Say you have 10 insurgents. He writes the number 10 on the board over some words that say, please erase. Then you shoot two of them. He writes minus two to the 10. How many terrorists does that leave? Wrong. He writes equals 20. Then he draws a radican and adds pi. Then draws a circle around and a line through it. Then starts over in Roman numerals. Then adds a butterfly and some trees. Then a penis. He chuckles. Then he's all. Uh, so the solution to my expert math opinion is getting 10 more whiteboards. Uh, 10,000 more troops to join the insurgents. Uh, and 9-11's Giuliani, just to keep it fair. Any questions? Swinton, stand up first, woman. Yes, thank you. I uh, question what you are doing here. You seem like a nice man. I do not mean to be impolite, but I question your sense of self. Thank you. Also, my character this is German or French, I think. Thank you. <laughs> she smiles bashfully and sits down on top of Jaden. Meg Tilly sitting in the <laughs> and starts to clap. How did he get in there? I, I guess while she was talking, there's a miscommunication. Brad sighs and goes, look, lady, I'm just an army general trying to do my job up here, which is explaining math to disinterested foreigners and my wife. Swinton stands up again and goes, yes, thank you. Yes, I I'm trying to do my job also. With all due respect, General, I do not question your maths, but only your ability to coexist in the same universe as the Scoot McNary character. Also, I thought that in Burn After Reading, after your character gets shot in face and is dead in closet and we only see your shoe sticking out, that shot is your best work. Thank you. <laughs> McNary's all. For the first time, the general began to question his role in Afghanistan. Brad's all, damn it, McNary, get off the stage. You're not a Greek chorus. That night at Chili's in Berlin. Oh, Brad. <laughs> Happy what 50th wedding anniversary. This is the most we've ever seen of each other, including our wedding night. Damn it, woman, what are you getting at? Is it my fault we got married on 9-11? I get enough attendance complaints from my troops during battle. Now, come on. Get the rest to go. We got that mission accomplished, Banquet, at 0800. The next day, Brad Pitt stands over a Yavin Warhammer table while a British guy smirks at him and goes, Are you Yanks going to be using this all night? Me and Clive here are hoping for a bit of snooker. 
Get the fuck away from me, Frenchie. Sick and tired of cleaning up all your messes. First you burned down the White House in 1812. Now you idiots invade Afghanistan over 9-11. Anthony Michael, give me some good news. Over. In a town, Hall's all. Yeah, Michael Hall, the Pitts character. Uh, the Virgin from where the Millers is moving in from Sector Alpha. <laughs> Stand by. Reports of shots fired by us. Maintain this position. Anthony Michael out. The platoon's black, friends all. Hey, check this. He raises a grenade launcher and shoots it at a distant rooftop. A wisp of smoke comes out of the chimney. <laughs> Toker Grace is all. Nice! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Really? He says it. We know which character you are, Dingus. Yeah. It's always the Topher. The black guy's all, fuck this. He takes his helmet and pants off, then starts heading off down the dark street with his gun drawn. <laughs> Topher Grace all, hey, where are you going? This isn't Alien Covenant. The black guy puts around. See, that should have been a Prometheus joke, but... You got to stay with, up with the news. The black guy tiptoes around shooting guys in turbans. Finally, he finds a house with a crying man holding a kid in his arms. <laughs> the, the kid's eyes are closed and his tongue's out. The man's all. He just lost interest. To celebrate the success of their mission, Brad Pitt stays up late that night in bed reading a hardcover called Excellence, How to Invade Afghanistan. <laughs> Anthony Michael Hall runs in, holding up the latest Rolling Stone. He's all, sir, thank God I extended my subscription. He hands the issue over to Brad. On its cover beneath a picture of Jane yawning is the headline, what do you mean you wanted to interview Willow instead? (laughs) Brad throws the magazine down angrily and goes, damn it. When will those vultures start appreciating his finer points? (laughs) No, sir, read the fine print headline in the bottom corner by my mailing address. I folded the corner over there to mark my place. Brad picks up the magazine, squints, sighs, gets out a magnifying glass and reads Pitt hams it up with hair dye again with inglorious results by Scoot McNary, parentheses Batman v Superman. (laughs) Pitt sighs and goes, well boys, look like my work's here. (laughs) That's not what he says, you idiot. Well, boys, looks like my work here's done. <laughs> that's great, Kelly. Harry's <laughs> all. And that's how I supported the troops. Thanks to the power of my writing, Brad Pitt's character was replaced by this guy, played by Russell Crowe. Cut to a fat, angry Russell Crowe in camp. <laughs> airport. In the background, people frantically try to hide their phones. The end. Oh, it's just getting good when Russell Crowe showed up. Fat, angry uh, Russell Crowe, Kelly Wand. Now it just, ended. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm Tom, loves, Tom loves fat Russell I Crow. love fat Russell Crowe. I can't get enough of the guy, and I was so happy. And then, uh, oh, credits. Didn't get to hear him. Well, hopefully there's a sequel. Yeah, there'll be the the, uh, the David Petraeus sequel, and he'll sleep with his biographer, and uh, yeah, yeah. that'll be great. Was he based <laughs> on another general? Petraeus. Well, Petraeus did replace McChrystal and then got in trouble oh, because he right. slept with his biographer and didn't disclose it. And yeah, whoops, yeah. oops. So uh, let's uh, start with Dingus because Dingus, it's my three by three this week. Kelly's introducing next week's three by three, so you don't have a lot to do. So why don't you just kick off this podcast by telling us what you thought of War Machine? What's a movie that's better than War Machine? What's a movie that's worse than War Machine? Um, I'm going to cheat a little bit here Uh-oh. and. It, it, yeah, I know. Uh, 
Oh, um, because I'm 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 using an over under that has to do with uh, American actors who can't hold their own against Tilda Swinton. <laughs> I like Over that. I mean, I don't know why that's cheating. This sounds like a perfectly viable criteria by which to evaluate War Machine. Um, <laughs> because, well, uh, the problem is The Under is a movie I think is better than this movie, but I like the performance slightly less than the over that I like. No, yeah, it's so, your under over doesn't have to be. Yeah, if that's the criteria, the movie that's under can definitely be better because I'm guilty of the same thing. I'm just saying. All right. For, for this so movie. the under would be the movie Michael Clayton. Um because mm. <laughs> partly because at the beginning of this movie, when Brad Pitt is marching down the terminal or whatever he's doing, I thought, is he doing a George Clooney impression? Yeah, is he doing? It, it was an Oh Brother or Art Thou kind of thing, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'll show um, you comments. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, my own moron trilogy. When uh, when the one moment in this movie that I really really loved happened and that almost redeemed the movie for me just that scene um i just thought about uh how i felt about watching george clooney who i really like but when he's with tom wilkinson in that scene with the baguettes sticking out of the bag i just was like oh you can't hold your own and then when when tilden swinton when tilda swinton shows up and he's trying to act against not against but with her it just doesn't work it's sad um so i would put michael clayton under this over this um is an actor uh in a in a scene with her that i think does hold his own pretty well surprisingly and that would be constantine which is a movie i love uh much more than this movie and i think surprisingly keanu reeves can hold his own in a scene with her um it it's a little different, but but watching Brad Pitt flail around on stage and do his cartoonish—I don't know what he's doing. He, he looks like um, the guy from Twelve Monkeys got on antipsychotics and came into this movie, or he's and then he's Didn't trying to channel us. George C. Scott. I don't know what the hell. Ah, that's very good thing. Is that might be what yeah. was there? What like he's he's like he watched a patent to prepare or something. That didn't even occur to me. Nice dingus. Yeah, it's it, it's patent, but to the Doctor Strange love level of trying right, to do, right. you know, the weird. Well, he's thing. pretty broad in patent. I seem to recall too, but I mean, not Strange yeah. Love. Like Strange Love, he's he knows he's doing a comedy. Patton, he's just but his voice really character. sounds like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, like, in an interview somewhere, he's like, yeah, I, I was inspired by George C. Scott and Patton. Now that Dingus says that, certain things are clicking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, unfortunately, he falls somewhere weirdly between them where you, you, you're not going to go all the way over the top. You're not going to do something realistic. You're just going to be uh, So, anyway, I think Keanu Reeves is better than Brad Pitt. And I think that... Uh, George Clooney is not quite as good as Brad Pitt. All right, Kelly, you want, to, you want to go next? Actually, I, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I just think that George Clooney isn't as good as Keanu Reeves. <laughs> oh, I, w- I would, in a, in a heartbeat, Dingus, I would say Keanu is a better actor than Clooney. Yep. Yeah, I'm with you okay. there. Thank you. Kelly, why do you uh, want to tell that one? Uh, Kelly it depends to- on the movie. It depends on the movie. Because... 
trying to think of a good Clooney though, so maybe that you're winning this argument. Well, Clooney's the type of guy who doesn't, who always plays himself, and Keanu. Yeah, that's true. Style, but Keanu showed some range, like what he did in Neon Demon versus, and all you guys didn't see Knock Knock, what he was doing in Knock Knock, uh, Dingus's mention of Constantine. Like Clooney doesn't have that range of attempts. Yeah, attempts. if he had more range, the Coens wouldn't have made it a moron trilogy about him. They go, well, this is what's gonna, this is the only way we can do a handsome character right. in our movies. Um, and Keanu Reeves, uh, that's how he started. That was his Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Like he got that out of his system. <laughs> yeah, he got, he got that out of his system. That's awesome, Tom. He seems less concerned with his image, and Clooney, you get the sense he, I don't know. I really like Good Night, Good Luck, though. I think like I don't like I prefer that movie to a Keanu Reeves movie, but just for other reasons, I guess. Well, I like the Clooney's doing, you know, Brother Where Art Thou. I mean, I like what he's doing. No, uh, I, I just, just saying. In Michael Clayton, he can't hold his own against an English actor. I think it's a it's kind of a silly argument because they're really not the same kind of thing. Wait a minute, and, wait a minute. We would never have a silly argument on this podcast, Kelly. Wong. <laughs> you, of course, let's Keanu versus that, Clooney's deep waters. Let's not try. want that happening here. Comparing Keanu and the Gift to Clooney and Gravity is thoughtful. <laughs> so, but my over was Patton, but. You know, it's like I was sort of attached to Clo- or Clo- I was attached to Brad Pitt's character in War Machine a little bit, but it seemed like the movie he didn't have anyone to play off of very much. Like the Swinton encounter, he kind of gets owned. So it made me wish I was curious. I wished it, I'd seen him in like his heyday or something. It was like watching a Spider-Man movie set in like his 80s or something. Um, and then my under. My theme was movies about generals, so my under was Revenge of the Sith because it had General Grief on it. I thought it was an underrated character too, so similar to War Machine. Like I liked, I don't know if it was working, but I liked Brad Pitt trying to be that dumb, I guess. Okay, uh, but it seemed. He was too genial for what the movie needed him to be, I think. Um, so, okay, it seemed like a biopic. Like it started out as a biopic about McChrystal, and then it turned into this. So it's hard to evaluate it as a as a as a treatise on war or Afghanistan or anything, because now it's like a mockumentary or something. But not a mockumentary. Uh, well, my that's what I did with my over and under was uh, movies about the unique challenges that we have faced in our wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, because uh, as soon as I heard that David Michaud was adapting this book, uh, I, I got the operators from the library and I read it and the subtitle is really misleading. Uh, the book is, is basically uh, Michael Hastings, the Rolling Stone writer. The, the Pentagon sort of aggressively responded to the article that he wrote after he wrote it and challenged some of the things that he said. And there was there was a fair bit to the story after the article was published. So from what happened after the article was published, uh, Hastings wrote this book called The Operators, and he subtitles it, whatever Dinka said before, like an inside look at the crazy, wacky war in Afghanistan. That's not what it is. It's basically <laughs> Michael Hastings saying over and over, like it's basically him elaborating on the notes that he took, writing a longer form version of the article. Uh, and his basic premise is 
I think what what is said in the movie, uh, what the fuck is McChrystal doing talking to a Rolling Stone reporter? Like that's his overall tenor in that whole book. And it does not have a lot of insight into the actual war in Afghanistan. It's about the fact that this general and specifically his staff uh, had no idea how to interface with the media and just sat around and shot their mouths off and got him in trouble and he got fired. That's the sum total pretty much of what the operators is. And I did not believe that David Michaud, the guy who has written and directed some amazing stuff, most recently The Rover, I was convinced he was going to find in this an interesting angle. You know, it's yeah. a, 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 yeah. People from the outside looking in at what the United States has, has been struggling with in, in Iraq and in Afghanistan, there are some compelling insights there. And I, I thought David Michaud would be able to add his voice to that. And to my supreme disappointment he is not this movie is so infuriatingly terrible and glib and lost and has no idea what point it's making it's not i and and some of this comes from me knowing the source material which normally i don't care about but there are things worth talking about but more importantly this movie i think thinks that it has things to say about how we fight insurgencies and i Almost none of them is even remotely correct or insightful, or, or it's just infuriating to hear the things said in this movie being said in what in, – and having it think, okay, yeah, here's some insight into how we fight insurgencies. It's so dumb, this movie. So my over and under are movies about us fighting insurgencies, and what is surprising to me is right now Netflix has – it picked this up I think about a month ago uh, – a, a movie called Sandcastle, which does not have – Brad Pitt throwing his money and celebrity into it, so you probably haven't heard of Sandcastle. But Sandcastle does what this movie is trying to do wonderfully. It's a script written by a guy named – oh, shoot. I want to say Eric Rossner. I forgot to look up his name. The, it, a guy who actually fought in Iraq wrote a script about how we deal with, with winning the hearts and minds of the local population there, about the unique challenges of it. It's told from the perspective of his platoon and – one of the actors who – Nicholas Holt is the lead in it. He's fine, whatever. But there's an actual actor named Logan Marshall Green who, yeah. we, who we know from The Invitation and who yeah. I think is often written off as a Tom Hardy lookalike. Logan Marshall Green plays the sergeant of this platoon in Sandcastle, and it's a very uh, intimate, unlike – it's not told from the perspective of a general. It's a boots-on-the-ground, low-level look at how we deal with insurgents and with the local population and with the fact that after the occupation, we had to do nation-building in Iraq, and the, the administration that sent them there wasn't quite prepared for that. It didn't go so well. So Sandcastle is about the learning curve that we had to deal with, and the fascinating thing about Sandcastle because it's got some failings. It's a little maudlin. It's a little too over-obvious. The music I want to strangle. But Logan Marshall Green is fantastic in it. And this is what – this is the portrait of leadership in the American military because you look at Logan Marshall Green's character. I think his name is Sergeant Harper in Sandcastle. You look at the way he plays that character. You look at how and whether that character changes, how he treats his men, how he treats the locals, how he treats the leader of a village. This is the guy who is going to be the next Stanley McChrystal. This right here is insight into how the American military develops its leadership 
We do not have generals who run around and think nobody's ever been able to fight an insurgency. It can't be done. Only I know how to do it. The American military doctrine is built through trial and experience. And a lot of what we're doing now is implementing stuff we learned in Vietnam. And some of it works well. Some of it doesn't. We're refining it. McChrystal in no way – there's no way that he thought nobody knew how to fight an insurgency. McChrystal – grew up in the military learning this stuff, and he implemented some of it in Iraq. And so watching this movie, which is basically here is the guy, it's a fascinating performance, who is going to end up getting stars and being a general and shaping military doctrine. Here is his origin story. Sandcastle is amazing for that, and I have so much respect for how Logan Marshall Green uh, underplayed it. He's so good with the other actors. Uh, so Sandcastle, it's amazing. It's a, it's a movie on Netflix that they picked up. Uh, about a month ago, and you know, all the hullabaloo is about War Machine because it has sixty million dollars and Brad Pitt in it. Uh, but Sandcastle is a far better movie. So oh, I had to man, look long. I can't wait to see that then. Cause yeah, yeah. It's, all I think of Logan Marshall Green, and I forgot the invitation is Prometheus. Oh God, that's real. Yeah, don't remind me, Dingus. Yeah. Well, this wow, is this I'm really knock, excited to see Sandcastle now. Yeah, th this will knock Prometheus out of your head. Um, Very good. Uh, so, yes, Kelly Wand. Well, just the thing that knocked this out of my head for me was that book I turned you on to called The Afghan Campaign by Stephen Pressfield, because it was just about how Afghanistan's almost like a unique challenge. Like, it's where empires go to die, and, like, no one's ever taken, and it's, like, the Russian winner of of every country that's ever gone there. And so it's, like, nation-building's always, like, that. that's what bugged me about is, like, souvenirs go, like, yeah, every, every counterinsurgency's like this, but, like, Afghanistan was, like, way different from Vietnam. And so the the problem with Afghanistan wasn't Afghanistan. The problem with Afghanistan was Iraq. Iraq sucked the oxygen out of the room. It sucked resources away from the military that should have been put into Afghanistan. Uh, it, That's true, too. So Afghanistan, we were on the right track. Afghanistan, we had the right idea going in. We should have gone in. Uh, oh. we, the things that we weren't prepared to do, I think we would have learned. But the neoconservative administration had this cockamamie idea about Iraq, and it was it was naive. It was based on not understanding history, and they basically fucked over the American military and the occupation of Iraq. Um, so – yeah, Iraq – I don't uh, – Iraq has been a unique challenge for a lot of conquerors, but I don't think that's necessarily what Wait, we were mean trying Afghanistan. to – You mean Afghanistan. Sorry, sorry, Afghanistan, right. Afghanistan, that's, that's not necessarily what we were trying to do. We weren't trying to assimilate this distant place in this weird little corner of Southeast Asia, which is why the Russians and Alexander the Great and the British Empire have, have had a problem with it. Um, I thought you were trying to find a dude, right? Right, exactly. The whole nation building thing, I'd never understood even then. Like, well, why? we were, we, we were, we were, I mean, our, our goal was to get the Taliban out. I mean, right. uh, to have them right. turn, they refused to turn over bin Laden. So we basically said, and even if they turned over bin Laden, I'm convinced we would have gone in. We basically decided we were going to dislodge this uh, repressive government from this country. Uh, that's why we went in. Um, and, and we did that. that. That was accomplished just lickety-split, and basically only with special ops working with locals. That was right, not it, the issue. It was the a zero to 30, yeah. And yeah, the issue was the nation building afterwards and how, again, Iraq sucked the oxygen out of the room, and suddenly 
you know, 150,000 troops were in Iraq. That's where his attention was. That's where the administration was desperately trying to justify what they had done. That's where intelligence was scrambling to catch up with the neoconservatives saying, yeah, there's weapons of mass destruction there. Um, again, the problem with Iraq wasn't Iraq. It was I'm sorry. The problem with Afghanistan was in Afghanistan. It was Iraq. Um, mm. But yeah, so Kelly Wand, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that Afghan campaign book about because uh, that's as far as Alexander got with with his uh, yeah, invasion. Yeah, took him three that, years. Yeah, and that was his stopping point, basically. So so at any rate, I'm sorry. I could just prattle on about this forever. Let's talk about the movie. Let me tell you about my no, under. No. Yeah, you're under, yeah. Because I really had to search far and wide to find a movie that was less informed and had less yeah. to say about what it takes to fight an insurgency, about the unique challenges that the United States faces in Iraq <laughs> and Afghanistan. This is difficult, uh, but I think I accomplished it. So Gareth Edwards, the guy who did Godzilla uh, – he made a movie. He got to start making a movie called Monsters. And in Monsters, Scoop McNary and a terrible actress who was his girlfriend at the time, they have like a road movie through uh, Mexico, which has been occupied by a, a big old alien octopus monsters. Right? This movie did well. It got Gareth Edwards the Godzilla gig. Uh, it spawned a sequel, which not many people know. Monsters colon Dark Continent is Dingus. Don't laugh. That's some, yeah, that, that's some uh, Heart of Darkness stuff there, Dingus, mm. when you give it a name like Dark Continent. So what this is, it's, I don't think Dark Continent ever specifies whether it's Iraq or Afghanistan. Clearly, it's one or the other. But its deal is, you know, this monster outbreak, it happened all over the world. It also happened in Iraq slash Afghanistan, and we had to bomb the monsters because we had to kill them, right, because they're bad. And when we bombed the monsters, it made the local population upset so those are the insurgents we have to fight. We're fighting insurgents mm. because they're upset we bombed the monsters. So what Monsters <laughs> Dark Continent is, it's, it's, it's a war movie about presumably Iraq uh, that just Where's happens – Where's Well, I don't even think it's that, Kelly Wand. It, it, it just happens to have the monsters in the background. Uh, and every now and then, like at one point, the soldiers get captured, and they're going to get killed. But whoops, a monster attacks the compound, and they get out. Uh, it, it's just every now and then, and the, the effects, by the way, in Monsters Dark Continent are fantastic. There's some great shots in there. This idea that Iraq is overrun with giant monsters and they're breeding there and there are herds yeah. of them. There's visually oh, so bombs didn't even work. All they, they did was kill people. Uh, they well the the they what kill civilians. You're saying we we bombed Iraq. Right, right. No, bombs didn't work. Exactly. The monsters there. are still flourishing for whatever reason. Uh, but and our hands are full now fighting the insurgents who are upset that we bombed their area, trying to Top save them from monsters. It just makes no sense. It's ridiculous. But it's it's a it's a very well shot movie and it's it's a way better movie than War Machine. I'm doing what Dingus did here, and I'm saying its insight into fighting insurgencies is below what oh. War Machine has to say, which at least is benefiting from some real world material. It's just ridiculous, fantastical stuff about hey, the monsters made insurgents, and so we're going to tell this story. It just makes no sense, but it's a well-made movie, and it has fantastic effects, and it has a, an actor I really like uh, who we know in a movie called uh, London to Brighton named Johnny Harris, I think. Uh, he plays this pimp in London to Brighton, and he's the main actor in Monsters Dark Continent. He's great. The movie it itself is just silly. So that is my under for War Machine, which I loathed uh, – 
it just I cannot express how much I loathed it. This movie, I, I would have given up on this thing. I would have pulled a Netflix on it if we weren't doing a podcast. Yeah. I knew twenty minutes into this thing that I was this was just going to be annoying, and there was nothing here. I, oh God, I hated this movie. <laughs> Remember Betty stare at goats? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That should have been in there too. Does Monsters Dark Continent make a point of saying that we're the actual monsters? No, I think its point is it's 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 kind of t- Monsters Dark Continent is really art housey, oddly enough. And I think what it's trying to do is tie together this this cycle of death and birth. This idea that where we're we are waging war, the monsters are flourishing. Where we're dying, they're being born. Uh, I kind of don't want to give it away because well, I won't. The the final shot in this movie is kind of not the the penultimate shot. I should I should say is really uh, arresting. <laughs> um, mm. It's 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 kind of worth <laughs> sitting through just with half an eye just so you can get to that final shot or the penultimate shot. I should say. Um, so no, Dingus, I don't think it's saying we're the monsters. I, at least that wasn't my takeaway. Because the monsters—that's the thing about the movie monsters and the, the sequel monsters—is it's sympathetic to the monsters. It's kind of because right. in the movie monsters, you just realize, oh, they just fall in love too, just like Scoot McNary and Whitney Abel. That's kind of right. the point of monsters. But the humans what, aren't distasteful characters in monsters. Like they're just normal. right. I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, here I don't think they're. It's told from the perspective, of, and it's very sympathetic to to American soldiers, but uh, here the takeaway is the monsters just want to have babies. They just want to raise families. They're just uh, like us. Exactly. Just like in Monsters, the original. <laughs> They're Monsters, Inc. Shut up, Kelly. So, uh, yeah, I, there, there we go. I, if you guys just wind me up a little more, I'll get started again, and I won't stop. So, uh, you know, you what? thought too – your source material thing – see, like you brought a lot of baggage to this to War Machine that I – the second it started, I go, oh, it's this kind of movie. And then I, I sort of like – I lowered my blast shields and my critical faculties. Like just – I paid enough attention to it just to write an opsis, basically. Well, you know, Chris Parkinson has something of this – a similar problem or difficulty is that uh, it's hard for him to talk about the movie without wanting to talk about the politics. In the actual situation that was and is in Afghanistan, these, these are his words. Um, and when I was watching this movie and trying to write about it and writing the things that it was saying, I was constantly getting upset with the way the movie w- was portraying the politics and just trying to see the actual craft of the filmmaking which I think is horrible. Yeah, that's also um, surprising, isn't it? Yeah, it really is surprising. Uh, other than, in, you know, well, is this just a vanity project? Because I don't, I don't know what the or a rush job Brad Pitt is doing here. My guess, is Dingus is right. It's a vanity project. I mean, he produced it, and I'm guessing he ran roughshod over whatever David Michaud wanted to do. That's, that's my guess. exactly what I thought, Tom. That he must, that David Michaud just must must have said to his blue tongue friends hey you know i'm gonna get us a bunch of money we're gonna be able to make another rover or something yeah. but just this is a gig i'm just gonna do this gig because it just feels like a gig it doesn't feel like it has any sort That's of stamp because it doesn't have to feel like it has any of his his artistic stamp on it yeah, yeah. None, none whatsoever. Like Animal Kingdom is a nuanced kind of dark. Like it seems like he's the, a wrong fit for this material. If this is 
the movie if this was the script he was given yeah i don't know i don't know the history of it in terms of did he develop the book but like like how did he the rights end up with him doing a script was brad pitt attached how early i actually don't know all that stuff but just from watching it and knowing that this is the guy who did animal kingdom and who did the rover and now he's doing this it just it seems clear to me that Brad Pitt showed up with a bunch of money, wanted to play a biopic that might get him an Academy Award nomination or some sort of buzz as a serious actor, and and basically ran the set, you know. And nobody could say no to him. Nobody could tell him, "Dude, you look like C-3PO when you run with your arms like that. Uh, you, you're, when you hold your face like that, it's like you're doing Popeye. This is ridiculous." Uh, nobody could say anything to him. I, I can't imagine he took any direction. I can't imagine that he let David Michaud do anything bold or or even put any voice into it. I, I don't know. Because Brad Pitt, he will pull out of a project if he doesn't like what you're doing. And we've we've talked about this with The Fountain before. Oh, yeah. uh, Darren Aronofsky had The Fountain going, and Brad Pitt didn't like some of the things that Darren Aronofsky wanted to do. And so he pulled, and the project collapsed and was eventually World War Z. Born was reborn as a smaller thing what was his deal with world war z just uh it was he spent two years trying to it was supposed to end with this big fight in russia right and then lindelof came on but it's like was brad pitt responsible for that though like i wouldn't be surprised i'm just i just didn't know if there was any buzz about him making these these ultimatums in world war z as well did you know if that's what Mm -hmm. happened i just the impression I got from the movie and from what I read was just he wasn't getting on with the writers of the script. Right, right. And then and then found the solution to that to be Lindelof, which is a bigger crime than anything in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> it's a war crime. But uh, yeah, he obviously takes he's obviously very particular. And maybe Michaud was just like, whatever, dude, it's fucking war machine, fine. I certainly hope that that's what it is because uh, it's way too early for David Michaud to, you know, Scorsese or Scott himself. Maybe he thought it's just a Netflix movie anyway, so I don't. There's way lower expectations. I don't know. No. Also, when the when the deal was made, it doesn't look cinematic, right? But I mean, this wouldn't have, like in a studio. This would have bombed horribly, and it's not fun. It's not a fun movie. Did Netflix pick this up? Like, did Netflix pick this up after it had been shot or during the shooting? No, no, it was it was uh, it was no, it was uh, a Netflix uh, production from the beginning. Ah, because okay. David Michaud had to shoot it, and I forget what the term is. I think in 4K, he has to shoot it based uh, on a certain file size um, that they're going that has to look cinematic but can fit. Uh, in a Netflix file, at least. like a, like a different aspect ratio, Dingus. I don't think it's an, an aspect ratio so much as um, as a size. I, I read a little bit of reviews about this and and some uh, interviews with David Michaud, and he's just talking about and everybody's surprised that it looks cinematic. I you know I mean I understand what Kelly Wand is saying, but it doesn't look like a TV show. Although there are certain scenes, like that Meg Tilly scene. In the restaurant that reads like a television scene, yeah. um, but it it looks like a movie, but it has to fit a certain. I don't know. Honestly, Tom, I don't know if it's if it's aspect ratio or whatever. But I just remember reading like something like 4K. Where it's two hours it, long, isn't it? Like it's a long movie. Yeah. It's two hours and two minutes, and yeah. but it has to fit within a certain 
uh, within certain parameters, according to this this interview that I read, and so it was specifically and shot like, for Netflix is yeah, uh, it was specifically shot right, for Netflix, right. yeah. um, and and he was talking about that within those that it had to be shot within those parameters. So I think it was always planned as a Netflix thing, or it was financed by them. Right. Okay. This is one of those movies where I get annoyed when I can't decide if the main character is supposed to be smart or stupid. Well. That's. I think that's probably. Is that on purpose? Because no, I. I think it's. I think the dumb. problem is. I think the problem is that. But well, he acts really dumb. Well, Nick Nick D says this. I think the uh, he, he says the problem is I think the movie in particular Brad Pitt's performance doesn't quite know what tone it wants to strike. Right. And maybe that's because it's a biopic and is too shackled to the actual details of Stanley McChrystal's life. None of the uh, other soldiers are that well defined. And Brad for me, not, like it's more vanity project evidence. For me, not going in knowing anything about it, it was a huge disappointment to finally get to the point where I, where I realized, and I didn't know this. I thought it was going to be. More of a satirical treatment of. I thought it was gonna be like Nash or something, but in Afghanistan. That's I, I thought. thought it was gonna be more like uh, Thick of It or something like that. That's what I was yeah. expecting. And then when I found out by watching the movie that it was really just, oh, this is about the Rolling Stone article, and, and then I just went, oh, and I really wanted to give up. That you know, Tom wanted to give up much earlier. I was much more gracious. I was, I was like, all right, I'll stick with you. I don't know what you're going to do. Maybe you'll find your tone at some point. But when I realized it was just going to be about the Rolling Stone article and they had nothing interesting to say about that at all. I mean, I think the, the kernel of the movie is that last scene or that, that near last scene where he's saying, be lovely to each other. And then I think you stack the movie and make this weird time shifting thing based around that scene. Not about not this this weird retelling of how this article came to be. Because once I realized this movie was about how a Rolling Stone article came to be, I just was like, I, yeah. I want to tune out. Who cares? I've that's read the book. I mean, that's the entirety of the book. That's what Michael Hastings <sighs> has written in a I don't know 200 pages. Like that's all the book is is how the article came to be and a longer form version of the article. Yeah. Jeez, I don't want to watch a movie about how this article came to be. I don't One care. Of the- I already know the story. One of the things that strikes me as odd and that also makes me think that I I can imagine Brad Pitt shaping this in certain ways, the movie is really weirdly sympathetic to McChrystal in a way that the article Mm -hmm. wasn't. Yeah, uh, and I, I I wonder how much of that is Brad Pitt like wanting to be likable and wanting to create this goofy, likable, uh, gruff, lovable old general who has some eccentricities and like some that. lovable idiosyncrasies. Exactly, Kelly Wand. Uh, and the you know Hastings' article doesn't paint that picture. He the, the funny thing about the article too is McChrystal didn't never said terrible things to Hastings. The problem wasn't McChrystal. It was the idiots in his staff who had no idea how to deal with a member of the press. You know, the, 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 the army has protocols for dealing with PR, but I'm guessing that once you get to a certain level of authority, you don't fall under those normal protocols because they assume by the time you've gotten that high into the chain of command, you know what you're doing. You know what you do and don't say to the press. But for whatever reason, these yahoos that McChrystal assembled around him just blabbed right and left to Hastings. And Hastings was constantly amazed at the things they were telling him. And it was the, the, the trash talking of Biden and, and stuff. Uh, you know, he was hearing through them 
things McChrystal had said. McChrystal didn't say these things to Hastings. It was his staff that said McChrystal said right these things. Now. It was once removed, and they furthermore didn't deny it when Rolling Stone did their fact checking. Uh, they did all their due diligence, and at no point did the idiots realize, oh, we should put the brakes on this until right. after the article came out. And that—that's why you know that whole sense of disbelief at the the incompetence of his staff. You know, McChrystal was a good soldier, it seemed, but his incompetent staff was his undoing, and Michael Hastings' just astonishment at this is pretty much the sum total of the book, uh, and it doesn't paint a sympathetic picture of McChrystal, because McChrystal should be leading, you know, the way the chain of command should work, the military, if you're, if you're that high in the military, you don't comment on politics, you don't sit there in front of your staff and kvetch about how Obama won't take a meeting with you, and how Biden is a mealy-mouthed weakling, and you don't do that stuff with your staff, you lead by example. Uh, so even though McChrystal didn't talk to Hastings, you get this picture of McChrystal being a guy who doesn't really appreciate or understand the chain of command and where he fits into it. Uh, he comes across as a guy who, who feels jilted by Obama and sulks about right. it. Uh, and you get a little bit of that in the movie, uh, but it, it does it, I think, in a kind of weirdly sympathetic way, which didn't yeah. make much sense to me. It's, it's, like, it's just weird how, how Obama is such a dick in this movie. Um, but, but, the one thing I think that works about this movie and that I think it could have been a good movie is if it would have understood that it's really a movie about our weird obsession with celebrity and how basically his staff is his entourage. Yeah. And, and you know, that whole last scene where uh, Anthony Michael Hall is, you know, you're the war machine, you're the, you're the Glenimal, you know, that whole thing that's going on throughout this whole thing. This movie is entourage set in war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's Vinny. Yeah. Vinny. And he, but he doesn't know how to quite handle celebrity. He, but there's no Connolly. There's no, <laughs> they're all turtle. Um, uh, let me just, Read something real quick that Nick. Okay, said. I'm back. What did I miss? My mic came unplugged. What did I miss? That's right. I just wanted to say something that Nick D says. Uh, one of our listeners who wrote in, because um, we have listeners who write into the show. Uh, we had three who wrote in this week: uh, Chris Marcus and Nick D and Keith Leith. Who I, I haven't said anything that Keith Leith said, but Nick D says, I think the movie was trying to be an homage, deconstruction, reversal of military biopics like Patton. And possibly commenta commenting, commenting, sorry, this, commenting on how they are essentially hagiographies, or possibly commenting on the danger of viewing real life generals as larger than life heroes. Yeah, and he didn't do any generaling either. Well, that, they, I didn't understand what they were getting at with his general line. When they point out, you know, when he gets this obsession, and I don't recall this from the book, when he gets this obsession with the Helmand province, and they then point out that only 4% of the population lives there and that it's, quote, strategically meaningless. Right. That right. makes him seem like the John Snow of generals in Afghanistan. <laughs> like, why on earth is he wanting to die on this hill? Why is he picking? The movie does not explain. It just seems completely random. Like, he's, well, we got to win here. We've just been told no one lives there. We have just been told that it's strategically meaningless. Yeah. 
and we are now being told that this is you know this is the make it or break it point he's going to stake everything at this pointless helmand province which What's it wasn't the strategically quite that. important but that's, that's the that generaling thing that's the generaling that we see him do that made right. no sense to me and where he's st- standing and listening to them like he's not even at the battle which i guess generals aren't but in Patton, there was a lot of generaling and there's his whole rivalry with monty and all right, that like right, it was right. it, it was all connected, and uh, yeah, I don't know something. Uh, what did Keith Leith have to say? Dingus. Yeah. Uh, he has something. He has one line that I think is pretty funny. He says the social evening was demented and sad, so it was good to see Anthony Michael Hall there. <laughs> and this is—I'm sure Keith Leith has heard me say this before. Uh, this is a quote from uh, the Breakfast Club. You're talking about Anthony Michael Hall being in one of the math clubs. It's social. I mean, this is something that John Nelson is saying. It's demented and sad, but social. So he's talking about that that social, which I think there were two things that I really did like about it. I love that Tilda, Tilda Swinton scene, but there's no reason for me to watch a whole movie about it. Um, and then I did kind of like that weird dismissing of Tom Howard, which I guess is what uh, Keith Leith is talking about for the social evening. Uh, unless he's talking about the wife thing. The wife thing was just embarrassing. I don't even know why Meg Tilly is in this movie. Well, as they, much as she's fine, she's fine. But what the fuck is she in this movie? They really did. Like, why were they wanting to establish that he has that he can't think of anything to talk about with his wife? Like, what was that about? If we're like, it just created this idea that he had no connection whatsoever to this woman he'd been married to for thirty years. Why is the movie doing that? Is it is it supposed to be wacky? Are we? Is it supposed to be a statement on the sacrifices he's made? Because it just seems like he's an unengaged, boring husband. Uh, I, I don't know what they were doing with that. It was so it, weird. And it's just so obvious. I mean, they walk into the hotel room and they're like, oh, I'm not going to hug you for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and now you leave and now we're going to do an awkward hug. And then that, that whole, I'm proud of you, honey. I'm proud of me. I'm proud of me. I mean, honestly, who writes that? David, come on. I'm proud of me? Do you actually <laughs> have that fucking line in the movie? I'm proud of me? <laughs> Jesus, that line when they're at dinner together, or that whole scene at dinner together, I just wanted – Forgot about God. that. Like, oh. It, oh, yeah, what's that mean? Made me so mad. that. What's that tell us about him? We've been together 30 days a year for the last eight years. Oh, you've done the math on it? Well, now I feel bad. What about 9-11? Hmm, okay, I'm proud of me. What the fuck? That scene. Yeah, what's that mean? What's that – is she proud of herself for not cheating on him? What does that mean? I'm proud of me. Well, for standing by him in his constant absences is how I read it. But even then, I don't get it. And then she gets to fly along with all the, the debauchery and just smile and say, shh, you guys don't say the word fuck so cool, mom. I didn't and, understand any of that stuff. I didn't understand any of her character or why it was included. I mean, this is worse than Green Zone in that way. I mean, I think it was just a matter yeah, of because she was stuck by the Icelandic volcano during that, that time oh. in, in Europe. I mean, I think that's how it really fell out with Hastings. Is he spent a lot of time with them, uh, and I, I, I don't recall specifically, but I guess that's the deal, is that she also was stuck there. So she was on this bus. She was traveling around with them because uh, they couldn't get back because of the volcano. But yeah. she's a cipher. 
So, uh, uh, by the way, I have to say, Chris Parkinson did like Brad Pitt's performance. But he kinda, he wishes he hadn't done the voice he was doing. <laughs> he was like Popeye. Um, uh, I can imagine him getting some praise. The, the Variety writer basically said uh, it's weird at first, but as it goes on, I think he said something along the lines of his it it reflects the confused nature of our of our involvement in Afghanistan. <laughs> but he basically was casting Brad Pitt's performance in a positive light, and I can see you know people liked what he was doing in Twelve Monkeys too. Who who can say? Yeah, that's a good point. But uh, and so Chris also asks, is it just me, or does uh, or do they have Brad Pitt running strangely? Yeah, there's a C3 yeah, they do. Yeah. 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 And then um, Nick D, and I'll post this somewhere in, in the thread after we do this, Nick D posts this great um, gif of Molly Shannon in Seinfeld because she – Whenever her her own only character trait is that she walks without moving her arms at all, and they all like, why doesn't she ever move her arms? <laughs> uh, I did like Anthony Michael Hall. Like I I, I liked I the too, character. Actually. I liked yeah. his bluster, and I liked when he softened up. And uh, it was like, hey, look at Anthony Michael Hall. I enjoyed what he was doing quite a bit. That it was. I can't say the same of anyone else in the movie that I can think of. No, yeah, but I, I really did like what he's doing. I liked Lakeith Stein, uh, not Stein, Lakeith uh, Stanfield. Who is he? Think is he's the he's the black dude. Oh, the one like the voice of the conscience of the yeah, the one who's confused yeah. about. Oh God, uh, I liked him. I mean, it's a I mean, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm role, not, but I think he did a good job. Right, I'm not disparaging the actor, but just the the dialogue they gave him to represent. You know, he basically had to. He, he was there so that we could have the audience expositioned to about the challenges of right. occupying a country and dealing with nation building, uh, right. which uh, it just felt so condescending to just have that explained. And when he's so is he the guy that goes running off alone? Yep. And so that's the dumb. Problem. And, and as so soon as dumb. I, I, I was already hating the movie, but when I realized, oh, now he's going to be the one who kills civilians. Because he's the guy who hates what he's doing, and if right. that happens, I'm going to want to murder this movie even more than I want to murder this movie. But nevertheless, I like that guy. I like Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah, yeah. Do we know him from anything? Um, I I really don't. I mean, he's he's been in things we've seen, Short Term Twelve. Um, oh, sure. Well, yeah. Uh, straight out of Compton. Okay. Um. Do you uh, he was in Get Out, but I haven't seen Get Out. But oh, I, that's I, where I recognized him. Of course, Get Out. Thank you, Dingus. Right. Oh, that's the Get Out guy. Yeah, he's the one that uh, the main uh, guy beats. Oh, I feel okay. not. See, in a helmet, I, mean, I, 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 I exactly those helmets really do depersonalize people, and it's a, it's yeah. so hard to do movies with helmets unless everybody's famous, like Thin Red Line. Then you can stick helmets on them, but otherwise, uh, they kind of get lost under there, don't they? He was like the Get Out character too. Well, I, I I can see the guy's face now. Yeah, I do. I'll I get do. Out. Do you guys know who Emery Cohen is? Did you recognize him in no. this? No. So Emery Cohen, we saw in um in Brooklyn with Saoirse Ronan. He's her boyfriend there, the brash Italian New Yorker guy. Oh. Uh, he was in a series that I thought was terrible, but I enjoyed him in the series called The OA. Uh, and he packed on some weight for this. He is a kind of a chubby i don't know if he was supposed to be mentally disabled or something but he was a chubby slow soldier who has a couple of scenes uh and he's, he's like a handsome good looking james deeney kind of looking guy and he he kind of vincent d'onofrio'd up <laughs> for, for uh, what he is was he doing the, 
Is he the Paul guy who says, Paul, why are you fat? And dances around in the bar? I think that might... Well, you know what? I don't think it is. I think he's only in a couple of scenes. Okay. He's a big fat person. I don't think it was him, that one thing. Is, uh, but right. it, was only, it was only later in the movie. I was like, oh, yeah, that's Emory Cohen. I recognize that guy. Um, and I, I, again, I love me some fat Russell Crowe, that right there. Yeah. I, I just put that on a loop for two hours. I'd rather watch Russell Crowe. Yeah, I thought that too. I go, what's, and, yeah, yeah. what's he going to do? Uh, so there's also the guy named uh, there's a guy there's an actor named Heyman I'm I'm sorry Eamon Hamduchi uh, who played Body who I really liked a lot um, and apparently he was in Sightseers and I don't know who he was in Sightseers do you know who I'm talking about yeah uh, I know who you're talking about but I'm not remembering him from Sightseers yeah I'm not either and he was in he was in Zero Dark Thirty as well. I don't know who he was in that. Who wasn't, Dingus? Yeah, exactly right. Um, and and the picture, his his headshot picture, doesn't look anything like what he's doing here, which I kind of love actually. But I but when I saw that he was in Sightseers, I I could not remember who the heck he was in Sightseers. But I liked him in this. I I like when he comes back to the table and he's like, well, that was strange. <laughs> uh, how about that Ben Kingsley as Hamid as Hamid Karzai? Oh, I like that. No, that's funny. He was like his Iron Man character. <laughs> and he's watching Dumb and Dumber. That's great. I thought that that's actually the one, the only scene where I was like, oh, I started to perk up. Like, oh, it's gonna be these two guys. It's gonna be Brad Pitt and this dude. Right you know, if it had been, if it had been doling that kind of yeah. that stuff out to all the characters, I would have been okay with it. But Karzai wasn't a clown. I mean, he was. He, no, but, but yeah. I'm not looking at this movie for realism. But that's the thing that is, if, if the if the movie had been treating all of its characters as if they were clowns like that, like like Doctor Strangelove, that would have made sense. But it just felt so weird that he was taking this. You know, whatever you feel about Harmed Karzai, and he was in a very difficult position. Uh, you know, if we're going to play him up as a clown and pretend he's incompetent and that we drummed him out, which we didn't, that's not how that worked. Uh, why are we doing that? You know, what is the point being made? And as near as I could tell, the point being made was that Ben Kingsley thought it would be funny and no one stopped him. Uh, and no one thought to think whether no one cared whether or not it would fit in with the movie. Uh, I, I love, by the way, the first bit. Like, th- there were a few things, Dingus. You said you love one moment. I want to hear about it in a minute. There are a few bits I really liked. One of which is when he walks in and thinks they're praying and they're messing with an HDMI cable. Yeah. That was funny. But then once it gets to him watching Dumb and Dumber and shooting Kleenex out of his nose, oh my god, that was a bit much. I just. Uh... Well, but if the whole movie had been like that, I think it would have been better. I agree. That's the thing. Is it, it, goes didn't, back. it felt like it was out of a, a different movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I go, oh, it's going to be a wacky, right, right. dumb and dumber version of a But why were they picking on, on, on Karzai? Like, what, what was the... It looks like him. I guess so. so. Start there. I mean, he doesn't, but if you feel that... I mean, I, yeah, but... He plays good Arabs. These aren't Arabs. Oh, Kelly Wong. Whatever, nerd. <laughs> 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 uh, Dingus, what you said there was one moment that you just loved. Have you already mentioned it? Was it the Tilda Swinton bit? I think it's. The, there was another moment after that, but now I can't remember it. Okay. I mean, the Tilda Swinton bit is the only thing that I think worked, and there were other things that I, I didn't. Again, I didn't know, and uh, or again, our listeners kind of echo this. I don't know what this, what the tone this movie is trying to hit is. I honestly don't, because there are moments where I felt embarrassed. 
to be a liberal while watching it. Is that what we're supposed to feel like when he's going and jobs and jobs and jobs? I mean, Dingus, it, it was just so weird. Do you know there's no such thing as liberal anymore? There's people who supported Trump and there's everyone else. Oh, we don't right. have to use words conservative and liberal because he's uh, – yeah, so you don't have to use that word anymore just so you know. Yeah, no. Basically, there's sane and Trump supporter. That that right. tends to be the American political spectrum at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I I was gonna do good writing, bad writing because of one line, but then I couldn't find anything else that could even be remotely <laughs> construed as good writing. So I'll just give you the one bit that I thought, you know, that's good. I like that. Uh, when they point out his wife is there, and he's like, yeah, it's our thirtieth uh, anniversary. I'm taking her to dinner. And I think it's Anthony Michael Hall who says, just the two of you. <laughs> like if they had just done that as a way to establish his relationship with his wife and nothing else without dragging poor Meg Tilly out, uh, that would have been great. Like that's a great little bit of insight into his his entourage and his personal life and how they regard his personal life. I loved that. Oh, I thought it was a sex joke. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 I'm not sure that I want to imagine what you just put in my head. I think everything's a sex joke. Oh, it's War Machine, get it? <laughs> well, why? Well, you know, okay, whatever. I mean, I guess the operators is just terrible. If you think of people working a telephone in the olden days or something. Schindler's List, get it? Sex jokes. How is Schindler's... I don't even want to know, Kelly Wand. Okay. Wow, did that just happen? <laughs> He's got a spank bank list. Ah, oh God, Kelly wanted to go there. Uh, so I'm super, but so Keith Leith, Nick D, and Chris Markinson, thank you guys so much. We, especially since this was not a big movie. Yeah. People listening really do. When when you see a movie, just send us a couple of comments, a couple of lines. You don't have to write a review or anything. I, I love when Dingus gets to read things that you guys think. So, uh, Nick, Chris, Keith, thank you guys so much. Everyone else, see what they did. Be like that. Super cool. Everyone else was at Wonder Woman, so it was just us. I know, I know. God, yeah. I, I, I kind of needed to. I, well, I, I did other things, but I, I needed to wash the taste of this movie out of my mouth. So I was going to go to Wonder uh. Woman, but I did other things. That wasn't a sex joke. Uh, I watched other things instead to get over it. But I, I was going to. I definitely was going to be uh, go to Wonder Woman. I'd rather um, have Wonder Woman in my mouth than this. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that'll that I'll accept, Kelly Wand. Uh, all right, Kelly Wand. What? Oh, oh no, me. Oh. Tom Chick, what is this week's 3x3? Three three? <laughs> oh, no, me. <laughs> uh, there's a scene in Alien Covenant where they're being attacked. I've heard enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm explaining, Kelly, where the 3x3 three three came from. Oh, uh, I see. Where they're being attacked, and then a mysterious stranger saves them, and then Very the mysterious, mysterious stranger, stranger throws back the mysterious stranger's hood. I don't want to get gender specific. And you're like, oh, it's that guy slash girl it's the mark twain mysterious stranger it's a no it's it's a, a hidden not a hidden but it's basically a, a face reveal like you can do that with taking off a mask or throwing back a hood or even just turning around when when you're the back of your head was to the camera you guys have some leeway i think you know what i'm going for these are your favorite uh. face reveals uh presumably alien covenant was still on the table if you wanted to take that you can kelly wand Start us off. Is your number three pick Alien Covenant? No, but okay. one of mine I might get pulled over on, so I have a backup in case I get pulled over. But it's not mm. my number three. 
Okay. Actually, I get pulled. This is the only one I probably won't get pulled over. And just so you know, Kelly, one backs up, backups. They're, they're runners up. You save those until the end. No, I know, but if it's not a legal play, then it just goes out there into the void. No, that's basically like saying, "Oh, I got caught breaking into a car. If I get caught, instead, I'm just going to jaywalk." You it's don't like get to do that when pulled over for speeding, and then you go. But I'm going zero miles an hour now that I'm pulled over, so mm-hmm. technically I'm not speeding. I like anymore. I liked my analogy better. I didn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Kelly Wand, what's your third favorite face reveal? Uh, my number three is uh, okay. I'll do a quote. Awesome. Someone who likes you. Uh, is it the amateur from the movie VHS? Starring Hannah Fierstein as someone who looks at the camera and says, I like you. Is that it? No. What? Darn. That's not a movie. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it is. The whole, I like you. I like you. Oh, yeah. I like you. From VHS. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Her. I like you. She's like if Rose McGowan got really skinny, like too skinny. <laughs> like she was in a wine press. <laughs> you know, they made a full feature-length movie from that, and it's terrible. Like, that that one segment from VHF, they spun out into a, a movie called The Siren, and she's in it. She kind of plays that weird creature, and it's, it's so awful. Does she reveal it only at the end again? No, throughout, she's like the creature, and she has sex with her tail. There's weird stuff in it. It's dumb. Uh, just stick with, you know, just watch that segment from VHS. Anyway, that's not what your quote is from, and there's no, as far as I know there's no face reveals in that, so I got it wrong. Kelly Wand, what is your quote from? Uh, I never come three. on, Tom. You really don't know what that's from. Wait, say it again. Say it again. I, I was someone who likes you. I don't, should I? I don't. It's is Kelly doing the voice wrong? If, if Dingus were to do the line, Kelly Wand, would I be more inclined to get it? Probably, because it would lower. It would narrow down. Dude. It could really be. See? I don't know what he was doing either. I don't. Tom's gonna think that's Last Samurai. (laughs) It's Princess Leia and Return of the Jedi. Here's the thing: (laughs) Return of the Jedi is a mostly disappointing movie, character-wise, and everyone kind of sucks in it, especially Han Solo. But I tend to forget there's the last good thing in Return of the Jedi for me is when Princess Leia comes in. And then you find out you don't know it's her yet. That it's someone who's bluffing an entire room full of. Oh no no that's a great no, it's Kelly Wan White is it do you think yeah. you're getting in trouble for this one? That's no, a really this is that's a really one. great pick. Yeah, why do you think you're getting in trouble for this one? This is exactly the sort of thing I'm looking for, and I can't it's believe I someone who. That. Why did you say someone who likes you? Well, I just thought it was out of character. But anyway. that's not the quote. Ah, <laughs> uh, nerds fighting over Star Wars. Well, I wanted it. to see if Tom would get it. That's not what she says. I wanted to see if but Tom didn't even recognize the quote. So. <laughs> I still don't know what quote you guys are talking about. Is that like the note on the thermal detonator or something? No, she. That's how. That's her face reveal line, and he's like, "Who's who? Just took me out of the carbonite, duh." And then she's all, "Someone who loves you." And then she's, oh, someone exactly. who loves you is it's, the quote. That's a. There's a reason. That's the quote. Oh, yeah, make me get mad at you. The callback to "I love you, I know." She's still loving him, but to me, it's really awesome that okay, first Star Wars, they're trying, they have to rescue her, and by the third movie, they're sending in the princess with a fucking thermal <laughs> detonator to take on the gangsters. Like that's pretty hardcore. They send in the princess to do that. 
your princess, take this detonator. Or she, it was her idea. Like right, because in the last her. movie, she'd been all cheesecaked up in the bikini and stuff. Well, no, that's mm-hmm. coming up. That's oh. coming up, that's yeah. Oh, come on. Or, oh, right, right, because she gets captured. Or she fails. Oh, my God, you're right. She completely blows it. We shouldn't that's have sent the princess true. in. We should have sent, like, General Dodonna or something. Uh, yeah, but the thermal detonator is still pretty ballsy. She has a pair of stones for that. Well, actually, all their stuff fails because Luke gets captured too and thrown into a dungeon. And luckily, there's a bone there. But otherwise, they all would have gotten chomped. The thing but, that he that he oh, uh, that he uh, opens keeps the uh, Rangor's mouth open with. Yeah. Okay. John, Tom called it a Rangor. Rangor. <laughs> Is that the Johnny Depp lizard? Johnny Rancor? Depp. Yeah. That's when Johnny Depp played the Rangor. <laughs> what, what kind uh, of yeah, bounty hunter is she? Do you remember her character name, Kelly? Mandalorian. Voto Atado. Well, Mandalorian, that? that's what Boba Fett is. Right, so it's not that. Right. Boba Fett would have gone, oh, look, it's my cousin. But I like that, because, yeah, in the movie, you're like, who's this weird new character? That, yeah. we're, that we're being introduced to. He's enough to like hold off Jabba and like all these gunmen right. with right. Mom. It's got to be. It's got to be Luke, and then it turns out it's her, because she's like, I'm getting hauled, fuckers. So wait, real quick, just to be clear, this is the one you <laughs> thought you were. You thought you were getting in trouble with this one? No, this is my only good one. The next. Oh, oh I see. Okay, because that is a good one. That's a great one. All right, Kelly, on. I do. There's a weird. Right. You just reminded me. There's a weird, like, kind of sad face reveal after that. When Lando like just pulls like his mask down a little bit, he's like, "Don't See, look, worry." Look, Lando's doing nothing compared to what Leia's doing. Exactly. Yeah. And then we get the slave girl out of it, so it's perfect. But it is funny that she's this badass, like with a bomb, and then in the next scene, she's sex candy with a chain. It's true. And that's what Jabba thinks of her, like, and that makes me think, "Oh wait, he knew it was her." Because he sets the trap, but then he still ruins the carbonite. Like they're all saying, "Okay, now let her, let her, let him out now." And then they're <laughs> attention. And then R two does that awesome throw. Remember when R two threw the lightsaber? He puked it. Puke Skywalker. See, Dingus, nice try. <laughs> yeah, I tried. Dingus, what's your third favorite Perfect face cat. reveal in a movie? <sighs> Kelly Wand. Yes, and like come that. on. I did some throw like with. I threw that to you, and you could not. Yeah, it, got, it got puked, Dingus. Yeah, it got puked. puked. Yep. All right, here's a quote from mine. Uh, I'm not scared of sheets. Are you gross under there? Are you night of the living dead under there? Okay, I have a guess. Okay. Uh, untouchables. <laughs> that would be an awesome untouchables quote. It is not. All right. Under the skin? <laughs> No. Wow. See, Dingus, see, you're just going to have him guess. He's going to start rattling off. Under the rainbow. All right, this is from the movie Beetlejuice. The word under, it doesn't have to be in the title of the movie just because it's in the quote. It's from the movie Beetlejuice. Um, And the the reveal is to uh, Winona Ryder um, when she's the only one who can see the, uh, the Maitlands who are finally trying to figure out how to be ghosts in a proper way. I don't know if you guys remember Beetlejuice, but damn, watching Beetlejuice again this week was so much fun. I think it might be my favorite Tim Burton movie. Um, It's so funny. It's so well-paced. It's got such a great cast. And uh, and the fact that she's saying this, you know, the other quote I would have gone with is, you know, live the blur. 
not to uh, not to um, see the strange and unusual. I myself am strange and unusual, uh, and uh, they are trying to haunt the house, and they and they go into the uh, to the underworld to meet their caseworker because they've they've uh, died uh, while trying to remodel their house. So they're basically going to be in their house for a hundred years or so. And this awful family comes in and starts remodeling it, and they want to hunt them out of it. And so they go and they see their caseworker, and it turns out that the afterlife is basically just this huge bureaucracy uh, that's absolutely wonderfully designed, wonderfully populated. And their caseworker just says, figure it out. You've got the handbook, figure it out. And so they decide to put sheets on and try to just be ghosts and haunt everybody. Uh, But Winona Ryder's character, the daughter, is the only one who can see them. And the reveal is her saying is right after she says, uh, "Are you dying of the living dead under there? Are you all gross under there?" She's so excited about this, and they pull the sheets off, and it's super good-looking Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis. And they're like, "No, we're we're just trying to get you guys out of our house." And then she's like, "You're not gross." And she's so upset that it's Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis. I love that reveal. I I care. (laughs) Who wouldn't be delighted to pull a sheet off of people and find that it's Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis? That's great. Yeah, yeah, I do. I love that. I love that. Uh, And I kind of wrestled with this because um, I wasn't sure if you had said that it has to be the characters of the characters reveal in the movie to us or if it can be a character revealed to another character because we've already seen them. So it's, no, really it's just, just like, like, yeah, it's any time a face is revealed, either to us or to the to another character. Okay, yeah, as right. long as it's a reveal, yeah. So, yeah. so Beetlejuice is my number three. Okay, I'm going to give you a line from my th- my number three pick. It is uh, I'd forgotten this line. Ready? Are we going to die? No, maybe. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. Really? Yeah. Because I'd forgotten that line. What's that's what? It's it's, it's a yeah, it's immediately preceded by, are you okay? No. And then they fly a little bit later, and they go through the radiation zone. And oh. she's like, are we going to die? And he's, no, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And then they crash. So my, my favorite, uh, my third favorite, I love being too dumb for a movie to anticipate <laughs> what it's going to do. I love that about myself. It's something that I've cultivated over the years, and I get Your no dumbness. end of delight. Exactly, my dumbness so that movies trick me, and I fall for their, their shenanigans the way that I should. And uh, I think it's Joseph Kaczynski when he made Oblivion. There's a cool thing that happens when Tom Cruise is going to investigate a drone that has crashed. It's shortly after this. Are we going to die? No, maybe. Uh, he's going to investigate a drone that's crashed. And he, he, while he's investigating it in this planet where there are these uh, uh, caretakers after humanity is left – there are small skeleton crews, staffs that repair these drones. So one of them has crashed, and he's going to make sure that it's knocked out when another craft flies up, and he knows somebody's going to land and try to repair it. So he tries to look through his scope to see who's going to get out. Uh, his scope is broken on his gun, so he runs down this dune to confront the person who's going to, to fix the drone and the camera shows us from behind the person he's going to talk to looking at tom cruise's face and then the camera does this turnaround where we then see who tom cruise is about to talk to 
I didn't see that coming. I love that bit. I love when a movie tricks me like that. Uh, and I love that shot. And I think Joseph Kaczynski knew exactly how dumb I was where he could make that a really cool shot in an awesome moment. So that's my number three face reveal is who Tom Cruise goes to talk to when the drone is getting fixed. Oh. That Olga Kirilenko in a tank top, Kelly Wand. What do you think of that? Yeah. Always. Always. In any kind of so, tank. Remind me how the face reveal happens. I don't. I just don't remember. It's just a shot of the person you don't know. You see the back of that person's head, oh, and over that person's head. shoulder, you see Tom Cruise running up, aghast at who he's discovered, uh, alarmed. We don't know why he's alarmed, and then the camera spins around to behind the Tom Cruise's head, so we see who he's looking at. It's like all one shot from the back of the head, and we see the face. It's a classic face reveal, like oh, look who it is, kind of thing. Because uh, I tried to think, and I actually had a hard time with this. I tried to think of awesome moments where somebody throws a hood back, but it occurred to me nobody in serious movies wears robes with hoods. These are all goofy fantasy movies. Nobody wears a hood in a movie that's not silly. Uh, you know, Meryl Streep and French Lieutenant's Woman, and that's it. Any other movie where somebody throws back a hood and it's oh look who it is, it's some dumb fantasy thing. I'm betting because I couldn't come or up with Star anything. Wars. Yeah. Well, the only reason you wear a hood in a movie is so you can throw it back. So. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and, and you have to be in a movie where people would wear a hooded robe. Yeah, and, and then that character never wears a hood again. Like Obi-Wan Kenobi, like, right. like yeah, just this one time. Well, that's desert. a famous one, and that's really just revealing an actor. Yeah, yeah so, but that's why it's not dumb. But that's what I was thinking of with face reveals. Is as a kid, I always remember, man, it would be cool to have a hood on so you could just flip it back and, hey, it's me. And I think it's an awesome debut moment. I couldn't come up with anything for that. So maybe Boy, you get guys had to do that. I Every time at, you go into a room, you do it. I looked at three different movies looking for that particular moment, Tom. Yeah. I mean, there's and, bad movies like The Last Assassin's Creed with Michael Fassbender. I think right. he does it five or six times. But uh, yeah, that's the trick is it's a cool move when you're a kid. Uh, right. Yeah. I found one moment, and it's a crappy moment. It's not your number one pick? Nope. All right. We'll save it for the runners-up. Kelly Wand, second favorite face reveal in a movie. It's a fun thing to do, to whip back the hood in RL, and people think it's going to be an exciting face reveal because, oh, he's throwing back a hood, and then it's just me. And then they're like, oh. <laughs> Kelly Wand, if I was somewhere and someone threw back a hood and it was you, I would be elated. Yeah, me if too. someone did it, and then it was me. Right. You wouldn't – right, exactly. If it turned Another out – Another person, right. <laughs> uh, my number two is in the movie Airplane when the guy has his sunglasses on, and then he pulls off his sunglasses, and he has another pair of sunglasses on. And I actually adopted that look because I didn't even thought think it was a joke. I go, oh, wait, that's good. You should have two pairs so you can do the pull-off, and if it's really sunny, you can just wear two pairs of sunglasses. But then he pulls off the second pair of sunglasses. And, oh, what's going to joke going to be? His face reveal. And then it's just his normal face. But then I thought there'd be a third one where he pulls his eyes out and then it didn't have it. That's it's a shame we never did a topic where we could have talked about sunglasses. We should Are you going to let him point. do that? Because that's not a face reveal. It is not. Kelly Wand, have fun in jail. Uh, wait, do you hear my number one? Did you have a runner-up that you needed to replace? Did you mean to say airplane? I'm sorry, did I mis- mishear you and you said something else instead? No, my number two is the fly. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> Wait, it's not what? even a face reveal. It's somebody taking glasses off. Yeah, Kelly. What's Kelly? the? Uh, he didn't say. I don't. I. I thought I heard him say airplane. Apparently, he didn't. Apparently, he said the fly. Kelly, one. Yeah. What's the face reveal in the fly? Tell us about it. 
a woman uh, takes a sheet off of his head and it's a fly under it. It's a fly's head, and then she screams. But you is know, she, the, she doesn't know she's in a movie called The Fly yet. But you know. the, she thinks she's in a movie called Beetlejuice. Very nice. It's the prostitute that he goes that he's going to eat, like that one. No, the old one, the fifties one. Oh, oh, good lord! Okay, with Vincent Price. No, I thought you were making a Gina Davis joke. Oh, see, oh, yeah, see? you gave him way too much credit, Dingus. All right, but, uh, so Kelly Wands is uh, the fly slash airplane for number two. For guy taking his glasses off. Yeah, Kelly. I, I was. I thought the fly uh, was written by James Clavell, the guy who wrote Shogun, and I like to think it's in the same set in the same universe. As James Clavell wrote the fly. Yeah, the fifties one. No, well, they, they, he originated the fly. Yeah, he wrote the screenplay, but it was based on a short story by a French dude. Oh, okay. Well, that makes more sense. Okay. But they hired Clavel to write the screenplay. But I, pret- I pretend it's part of the Taipan universe. I'm sure. <laughs> like it's Richard Chamberlain's, like not his origin story, but his eventuality story. Like that's how he yeah. ends up. Yeah. My grandfather never left Japan, and now I got this head right. on. Ugh, right. what a day. Is eventuality story a thing? Yeah. Oh, I like that term. No, it's not. I made it up. But it, uh, it should be. It's the opposite that's of an origin story. Singularity. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Is the original fly like I? I really like the original Incredible Shrinking Man. I mean, it's, uh, Richard Matheson? No. Who, uh, yeah. Okay. That's Richard uh, Matheson. Uh, is the original fly as good as the original Incredible Shrinking Man? It's creepier and weirder because there's like a cat they teleport, and you just hear it meowing from a different dimension for the rest of the oh, movie. Oh, okay. And so it really freaked me out as a kid, like even before the fly came into it. Because the first shot's a guy who's had his head crushed by his wife in a drill press. And I'm like, what? What's this got to do with the fly? This is going to get worse. Because everybody is knows the happiest that. Moment of the fly. Like the final scene is spoiled for everyone pretty much. I'm just wondering, is there more? Is there more there than that? Like, is it just a setup for that final scene? But there's, there's- other stuff worth seeing. Yeah, there's a cat in its head, and I think there's a sequel where there's more flies, too. Or his wife. Is, is, that, is that the name of the sequel, More Flies? More Flies 2 or something, yeah. <laughs> Dingus, speaking of two, what is your second favorite face reveal in a movie? They got James Mitchell to write the sequel. <laughs> JK. <laughs> Kept the teams. A pile of shit has a thousand eyes. All right, so uh, my second one has this quote for it. Uh, what kind of spy do you think you are, Satchel Foot? Is that Untouchables? Nope. Uh, here's another quote from it. Step out into the light and let's have a look at you. Mm, I feel like I know this. It's a movie I've seen. That's my guess. All right, this is from the movie The Third Man. And oh, um, nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. And this is the uh, cat in the doorway scene. Um, I love this facial reveal uh, because Joseph Cotton is out there trying to figure out who's been tailing him. And then this figure that you can't see says that line. What kind of a spy do you think you are, Satchel Foot? And Joseph Cotton says, step out into the light. And Harry Lime has no intention of standing out into the light. But because they're yelling at each other on this dark street in the middle of the night, somebody 
this woman throws on a light and the light shines right down onto his face and then you see Orson Welles' face. Boom, right there. I mean it's it's this great I mean I would love a gif of this. The 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 way the light streams down and immediately you see his face. Well, it's a famous shot. Her. Even I know it. Yeah. And I'm sure yeah. you could find a gif. Yeah, it's probably the internet's probably lousy with them. Yeah. You even I know it. So it's it's that reveal of Harry Lyme. Is there a zither playing when it happens? No. There's a lot of there's a lot of zithering in Third Man, I remember. No, it's a it's a weirdly playful and then awful for uh for uh, Joseph Cotton's character. Hey, uh, what if they got uh, Alistair McLean to write Creature of the Black Lagoon? Kelly <laughs> One's still there. Kelly One, how long are you going to sit on, on that joke? Is that like, we're going to be getting more of those? <laughs> I can think of another author. Flannery O'Connor wrote The Wolfman. Erica Jong wrote uh, <laughs> I, see, I, I sort of stepped out of bounds. I see what you're doing. Yeah, she wrote Fear of Fly. <laughs> oh, dang it. Kelly One, you got to retire this, this whole shtick now. I think it's just close the book on it. Uh, close the book. <laughs> My second favorite face reveal. Okay. Uh, I'm sick and tired of hearing about let, – let's just – I don't want to hear any more about the car chasing French connection or certainly not Bullet. Don't tell me about Ronan. The car chasing born supremacy is just so good. I, I, I watched that and <laughs> – <laughs> All this, like, yeah, French Connection's still brilliant. It is fine for that time, but good lord, how can somebody not watch the car chase and born supremacy and think this is the pinnacle of that gimmick? Uh, there's, it's, there's no better car chase. So one of the things that I love in the car chase is the face reveal to Born when he's just in Moscow trying to make amends. He's there for altruistic reasons, uh, and he gets shot like out of the blue. He doesn't know what's going on, but he knows he's being hunted. So a chase ensues and it's one hell of a chase. And Paul Greengrass just shoots it like you wouldn't believe bigly, hugely. He's so good at doing this car chase. It fits into all of this sort of documentary style uh, filmmaking that he's cultivated over the years that people dismiss as shaky cam, but all of that you are there stuff in the Born Supremacy car chase just works so well. And there's an emotional, there's an important character beat as two cars are skidding around a bus, and Jason Bourne realizes that the Russian agent who's chasing him, played by Carl Urban, is the same guy who killed Franca Patente at the beginning of the movie. Like, and, and that right there, then the car chases stakes raise, and then his choice at the end of the movie becomes significant based on what Franca Patente told him at the early part of the movie. So in the middle of this car chase, there's a face reveal as their cars are spinning around. Jason Bourne in his beat-up little uh, taxi that he stole – uh, Carl Urban in his super badass Mercedes SUV that he stole as they're spinning around, and Paul Greengrass shoots the moment between the two of them. Like, they make eye contact during a, a, a chase scene. Uh, so that's that's what washed the taste of War Machine out of my mouth. Is uh. just that, that fantastic bit of filmmaking. It's it is the car chase par excellence. I don't need Wonder Woman. I can just use this Matt Damon vehicle. <laughs> but it's not a Matt Damon vehicle. Born Supremacy is so good. It's a car chase. I mean, it's vehicle. He's oh, the vehicle. Right. Get it? Right. Jesus. Alright. Kelly Wand, <laughs> let's see if you All actually right. have a face reveal for your number one pick or if it's just a dude taking off some glasses. 
Okay, this one's a little weird. All so right. <laughs> if I'm going to get pulled over for it, I have a backup. <laughs> this one's but a little weird. I'm a little nervous about this. But you have to consider what a face reveal is conceptually, you see. Then right. I think this fits. Okay. Uh, my number one face reveal in a movie... <laughs> You couldn't even get through it. <laughs> one breath, you couldn't, you couldn't even get through it. it just, he just broke halfway I'm just picturing in. watching it. And then the, and I'm picturing, like, if, if when, we dis- when we describe our, our picks, like, you have to watch the scene that we're talking about. I'm just picturing you <laughs> watching. My number one face reveal in a movie is the motion picture, The Crying Game. Because, <laughs> see... God... It is sort of like it's like a hood being taken off, and then you see like someone's nose in a way, and it's like a shocker, like oh my god, that's who that is, or that's what that is. So that's kind of a face reveal, like it's not a face, but it's the face, it's the front of a body, which is the face section. It's oh, so the- not a face though, but not a face. Is it a face or not a face? I'm a little confused. Well, it's a face. It's confused a face about your stance on the penis, Kelly Wand. It's the face of a penis. It's the surface of it. And, All right, Dingus, what is your favorite uh, face for okay, two towers in a movie? <laughs> Thanks for well, stealing one of mine, Kelly Wand. I guess I'm going to number one now. I no. would accept his choice if it were from that awesome coffee shop scene at the beginning of Bridesmaids where uh, Kristen Wiig goes, does that thing with her face where she's like, their penis is always poking <laughs> out at you like this. Right. <laughs> Very good, Dingus. She should have played... The penis in Crying Game. Like, Who's to say she didn't? Up, that's a good point. Anyway, I prefer earlier, younger penis work. Okay, so my number one choice. Uh, here's a quote from it. But you, I never forget a face. What's that accent, Kelly Wand? Is it Russian? Uh, I it's think German. It's his, I think it's his little girl or old man. <laughs> I think it's Russian yep. or German. Uh, is it okay? Firefox. Is it? Is he doing George C. Scott again? No, I don't think it's George C. Scott. Firefox has a face reveal that'll scare the hell out of you, and so does Jagged Edge. Uh, he's doing Irish, so it's got to be Miller's Crossing. I think it was Irish. It was not Irish. It's actually Australian based on Kelly Wan's understanding of (laughs) accents. Oh, so it was Australian. Remember when Kelly Wan... I don't think we know it. Yeah, what is it? All right, this is from a little movie called Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Oh, my God. This is my absolute... Is this part of the movie in the Nutari Nebula? No, this is SETI Alpha. Sorry. It's SETI Alpha, damn it! <laughs> oh, guys. Well, so, is that your Ricardo Montalban? Yeah. That was mine. I never forget a face. I love oh, that he says good. that. He says it to Chekhov, but you, I never forget a face. Wait, so Chekhov's face is revealed? No, his face is revealed. It's, it's oh, you were doing Chekhov, not Ricardo. So wait, stop you were talking. Doing, stop talking. No. I honestly didn't know if you were doing Chekhov or Ricardo Montalban. Doing Ricardo Montalban. Oh, talking to Chekhov. Yes. So, so Chekhov's face. Chekhov's face. After the facial reveal, 
uh, and it's this great reveal, and it's this really slow, beautiful reveal, reveal in the Botany Bay, where he very slowly takes uh, off his gloves, uh, and then he, and it's a two-part reveal of his face, um, because uh, they're all garbed up for this terrible desert planet that has become a desert planet after they got uh, marooned there in um, in the original series of course and uh, shortly after getting marooned there the other planet exploded which shifted the orbit of the planet they were on which was a perfectly viable planet but turned it into a desert wasteland so they have to wear these um, basically Fremen outfits uh, where they, they're walking around and uh, they go into the botany Bay and they find Chekhov and his captain and uh, his new captain and um, oh right right and and yeah and Chekhov's like we got to get out of here this is the Botany Bay we got to get out of here but they don't get out of there in time and the slow reveal it and again it's a great two part reveal and uh, thankfully um, uh, I'll be able to post a gif of this thanks to uh, my very good friend Chris Parkinson um, that where he pulls the bottom part of his mask off and you see the just the lower half of his his face his mouth like and tread. his jaw what'd you say exactly like tread. yeah like tread, like tread. Tread. very good Tom exactly like tread um, and and you see this growing in fact dread from uh, <laughs> from Chekhov, who's like, oh, uh, crap. And Chekhov he, recognizes Khan from his chin, you're saying. He just knows what's coming. How does and he he's, know? He's, because it's the Botany Bay. Oh, oh, oh right. And, you mentioned that. Okay. And these are these are genetically engineered supermen. So he expects, oh, no, this is, I can't believe this is happening. And then he, and then uh, Ricardo Montalban pulls the top part of the of the um of the helmet off and revealing his his face which he looks amazing <laughs> so great his so, hair is so weird and 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 he's and he's weathered and he looks perfect for this movie and that particular thing that is just that, that just fills him with terror is uh, absolutely my favorite because i just freaking love this movie so it's not that it's unknown information it's just a cool way of like Hey, it's me. It's like it's like che- it's not Chekhov doesn't is it discovering this is Khan through him taking his suit off. Like he knows it's Khan. It's just being shared with the audience at that point. He fears it's Khan. Okay. He doesn't know for sure. Um, he he doesn't he can't conceive that that it's possible that they're even on this planet. He thinks they're on a different planet. He doesn't think that it's possible that this place even exists. And so that this character is here in front of him. That this. This person that they marooned years upon years upon years upon years ago even exists is beyond his ken. He can't believe it's it's happening, and we don't know uh, unless we've seen the original series, and then it's a reveal to us as well because we don't necessarily know what this movie is about. Wrath of Khan could be anything. We don't know. Um, so the reveal of his face is first the lower part of his face, and then the upper part of his face is also revealed to us as moviegoers who haven't seen Ricardo Montalban for years, even years and years and years either. And he looks so great. He looks so great. So I think it's a reveal to the character and a reveal to us as an audience. Do you think that scene would have worked if he had just taken off sunglasses? If he had taken off at least three pair, it would have worked mm. really well. Mm. Crazy stuff. Yeah. In the crying game, if it had sunglasses on it, 
taken him off. Right. If he had if he had taken his penis off, that would have been awesome. What? Dude, that's weird. You're weird, man. You made it weird. Ah, my my favorite face reveal. I was this is uh this is part of what I was thinking too when I brought up the the topic is it's it's a it's a trope at this point. Like in a horror movie, when someone has his back turned to you and you walk up to the person, and turn around, ah, they got a scary demon face. Like that's such a, an expected thing right now. The unexpected thing is when it doesn't happen. By the way, is in the horror movie, you walk up, someone's got his back or her back turned to you, you touch the shoulder, they turn around, oh, it's just a normal person because you expect it's going to be some freaky CG scary face, right? So I. Uh, that like that's colored horror movies so much. Anytime someone walks up to someone with their back turned to the camera in a horror movie, something's going to go on freaky with their face. And if it's not, it's some weird subversion. And I think the origin of this still sticks with me. And I think this movie holds up. Uh, it's a great movie, except for the weird sex scene. Uh, the finale of Don't Look Now, when Donald Sutherland. Mm-hmm has tracked down – you don't know what's going on with him. He lost his child a long time ago, and he's seen a figure running around Venice in a little red riding hood hoodie. And is, he, is it a vision? What's going on? Is it his daughter coming back? There's stuff that's been going on in the movie about psychic premonitions. And also it was mentioned that there's a serial killer running around Venice. But whatever. He's tracking down this person in the red jumpsuit. He thinks maybe it might be his daughter, and he comes into a room and walks up. The, the red jumpsuited person, it's a little child-sized person, has her back to him, and he walks up, and the person turns around, and it is this freaky old midget lady who slits his throat and kills him. And that is the end of Don't Look Now. It's famous. Everybody knows about it or has seen it by now. It's like the end of The Fly. Everybody knows the end of that. The end of Don't Look Now is the, I think, quintessential instance of – Someone with their back – and this was before you knew, by the way, that someone with his back turned to you was going to have a freaky face. Like Nicholas Rogue, I think, created this whole trope with uh, Don't Look Now. Uh, and that's my number one pick. So there you go. I, I was going to pick Two Towers, but Kelly Wan ruined that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's uh, – I guess oh. – Someone stall for me while I look up the uh, – I forgot to fire this up. Let's see what the readers have for – Read Hacksaw's first, please. Favorite face reviews. Uh, hold on. I have to get in here. Kelly, one, I, I really did have two towers for a while, and I didn't realize it was two towers. It was just going to be, yeah, the part when Gandalf comes back. Oh, the White Wizard. Yeah, because they do the. It's a face like it's not a robe getting thrown back. It's uh, it's like the the thing with the light. Like he's all backlit and his yeah. face is bathed in light, kind of like Moses. He's trolling him. Yeah, <laughs> he does that in the book too, though. That's the funny thing. But then they give it away in the trailer in two towers. He's trolling them. Is that what you said? Yeah, he trolls them in the book. He's like, "Hey guys, I'm sorry, man. Gotcha. Fuck with you. What's up? Well, oh, he trolls. Yeah. Does he troll the trolls in The Hobbit? Ooh, I like you. The weird thing I don't understand is I don't understand the whole Gandalf the White thing and him being resurrected. Like all of that is it's like Starbuck. Okay, what? <laughs> Stop like, asking what I said. Moby Dick Starbuck or Battlestar Galactica Starbuck? Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a Moby Dick one. <laughs> gotcha. Um. What was I okay. just watching? Oh God! Oh my! One of my runners up. Remind me about the Moby Dick bit. One of my runners up. Did you know right, Harold Josh- Robbins wrote Orca? 
<laughs> How, were you sitting on that for a while? <laughs> Joshua singing. Marshall. Hi, guys. I'm dictating to this phone, so okay. Let's see. Uh, he says he's driving while he does this. Uh, my favorite face reveal, the one that came to mind, uh, Harry Lime uh, in Third Man. So uh, apparently Joshua Marshall said out loud to his phone thing, Harry Lime, parentheses, Orson Welles, close parentheses, in The Third Man. And because he probably didn't say open parentheses, it just wrote out the word parentheses, and then it wrote out the word close parentheses. So uh, let's see. He's revealed in the light of, this, of an oncoming streetcar, he says, Dingus. Is that correct? No. Okay. No, not correct. Joshua Marshall, here's a here's – a, it's just a misdemeanor. Sorry, just, Josh. Uh, in my opinion, the best face reveal in the history of face reveals. Can't think of any others, so take that one. And then later, he emails again and says, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, he's talking. Yeah, oh, he didn't email with another pick. He's just uh, <laughs> he's just elaborating on the scene. He's talking about the amazing lighting, the, quote, rain slick <laughs> cobblestones, the zither theme, which uh, I, I don't like the zither theme in Third Man. What? Uh, the droning castigation of the matron from the second story window. My mistake. It was her light, not a streetcar. Joshua Marshall, I'm going to tear up this ticket right now. Here we go. Tom, I like how you approximated Ben Foster in reading his <laughs> correction. <laughs> I just when he shows up, it sort of wears it sort of wears on me. I, get I like how he did Tom Hanks and Polar Express, and he tore the ticket. Uh, his. <laughs> His uh, he also is putting in, and I think this is a legitimate pick. Uh, as Brody is chumming the water, is that a face uh, reveal? Yeah, it is. Wait, yeah. it is. He's That's right. A, I like. I'll take that. I'll That's a great that. one. Yeah, that was my number one and my number two. I was kidding before. That is wonderful. And you don't hear the music either. It's a super great face reveal. Yeah, yeah I think we're gonna need a bigger mirror. Uh, I watched in uh, I watched in her shoes this week because I'm on a Tony Collette kick and what? early on uh, in her shoes the Curtis Hanson like chick flick yeah, with yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ what why are you Jesus Christ it's Cameron Diaz and Tony Collette they're so cute but it's actually on, a cute movie yeah yeah I mean oh it, it becomes super syrupy and I could this once Shirley MacLaine gets in I'm like okay I just want to see the How's Cameron. First Wives Club treating you gotcha. you know I don't, there are parts of that I really <laughs> oh you got me Kelly Wand how's hanging up. <laughs> So early on, Cameron Diaz is supposed to be like super drunk, and Tony she calls Tony Collette to come pick her up, and Cameron Diaz is staying with their, their sisters, their stepmom, who's the evil stepmom. So Tony Collette drops Cameron Diaz off at the house of the evil stepmom, and Cameron Diaz, all drunk, is fumbling to get the key in the door, and she sees through the window by the door the stepmom coming up with a very upset look on her face. And Cameron Diaz, according to this, the script basically wants her to do the Jaws theme as the stepmother is coming uh, to the door. They can't. Cameron Diaz doesn't know that. Cameron Diaz does not know the Jaws theme. She's going like da 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 da. Because she's drunk, if like that's her take on the Jaws theme, and I actually wasn't even sure what she was doing. If I hadn't had the subtitles on where it says in parentheses Jaws theme, oh, I'm really? not sure I would have known that that's what she was doing. Uh, but drunk Jaws theme uh, is is pretty precious. My guess would have been that it was a uh, rights issue. Yeah. I don't think I think anybody can go. Dun, 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 dun. I think you're no, allowed. You can't because I've heard that. Are you in, serious? I've <gasps> heard it used in different. The Twilight Zone and whatnot, where it where it sort of tries to approximate it, but just 
like da, 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 da. but you know what they're doing the person doing it with with their mouth no not doing it with their mouth but, but i mean um, if it's a soundtrack i understand but if it's just somebody oh. riffing because she's it's not the soundtrack it's just camera it doesn't matter twilight's don't seem but the the captionist was wrong like i guess that's in, jaws in the days before um you could uh and now we can do we can sing happy birthday whenever we want to, but if a person sang it, they still have to pay. You know what? You're right. Uh, that might be a so, point, Dick. So maybe I, I'm yeah. Uh, it who sings over the Jaws theme? Universal fucking yeah. It works because she's drunk, I guess, uh, and she's Cameron Diaz and really cute, so she doesn't know Jaws. That's okay. Um, but you, I bet you're right, Dingus. That is a good but I, point. This is method acting drunkenness. Like, I don't know. Jaws ain't so fucked up. A really boring law and order where, where some lawyer says, well, look at the closed captioning. It says Jaws theme. <laughs> 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 and then that's the that's the finale of the episode, right? Done, done. Yeah. Uh, do you guys remember who – you wouldn't know. Do you know who Tony Collette's boyfriend is in In Her Shoes? A little fella named Larry Gay, renegade male flight attendant. Oh. It's amazing. And he's basically – I can't watch him doing – he's playing the guy that she doesn't really know she likes who ends up being her husband. And like he's the reliable male character in the movie. I can't watch him without thinking that he's going to start making a joke. Like he, I, I can't see Mark Feuerstein's face without thinking, ah, there's Larry Gay. He's going to say something funny in just a minute, any moment. Ah, and he's, he never says anything funny. He's just what being about like, Nick Kroll in Loving? That, I've, I've explained why that works like that. Yeah, that's that's weird. But uh, Larry Gay, renegade male flight attendant, is on a whole other level. Kelly Wand. It's like that's if point. it's like if Will Forte had been the lead actor in Nebraska. Right. How seriously would you be able to take him from MacGruber? I'm really it's looking good. forward to a Larry Gay MacGruber mashup. Oh, dingus it's like if Will uh, Ferrell dingus, you can make a guy I can dream, can't I? It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing you just said, Dingus. Huh. Mm-hmm. See, Daniel Ebert, number three. He has the quote, two men enter, one man leaves. This is Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. At the end of the Thunderdome fight between Max and Blaster, Blaster's helmet is knocked off, revealing him to be a childlike, developmentally disabled man. Max takes pity on him and refuses to kill him, violating the laws of the Thunderdome. Sadly, Blaster's killed anyway. What's yeah. this listener's name? What's the what? Daniel Ebert? What's the list? Daniel Ebert, okay. It could be a bear. Like I like I've seen the word Herbert written. I, I knew a guy when I was a kid. Uh, his last name was Herbert, but he insisted it was pronounced a bear. Yeah, bear. Yeah, there's I, a quarter. I there was a bear. quarterback named that yeah. as well. But it, it, but it's spelled like Roger Ebert's name, right? Yes, yes. But Roger so, Ebert could have been Roger a bear for all we know, or Roger, or Stephen Colbert. Number two. Oh, I thought he was going to steal one of my runners up. Wait, what? Oh, God. Oh, God. So good, Daniel. Uh, The quote is, don't fight it, son. Confess quickly. If you hold out too long, you could jeopardize your credit rating. That's from Brazil. Uh, In the torture scene, Jack Lint wears an Asian baby mask. This is awesome. As he prepares to torture Sam Lowry. It's a Michael Palin. He removes the mask just before uh, dying after being shot in the head by Harry Tuttle's rebels, Robert De Niro. Uh, The mask is one of the numerous bizarre artifacts that gives the movie its ludicrous offbeat feel. That's a great one, Daniel Ebert. Yeah. Yeah. Number one. Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, good lord. Ah, I love this one, too. Tech Nabbit. Okay, I'm going back to my number one. I'm scooching back. 
Let's see. <laughs> Skeeching Oblivion off the list. Man. Scooch right. very good. Here's the quote. You're so lonely, so afraid to leave, at night desperate to sleep. You imagine an ocean. I see it. I see the island. Is it in, the island? In the scene, which one? The bay. Nope. The islands have bays on nope. them. It's the Michael Caine one. You were so close, Kelly Wand. Well, I... In the scene where Kylo Ren interrogates Rey, Ren removes his mask, revealing himself to be, he says, Adam Sackler. That's not right. What? Uh, the whiny – oh, oh, I guess that's his name in Girls. Revealing himself to be Adam Sackler, the whiny little bitch from Girls. That's how Daniel Ebert says. Uh, uh, right. This effectively – oh, see, no, Daniel Ebert then says, this effectively undermines any sinister malevolence the character may have had for the rest of the no. movie. Yeah, I did. Oh, and then and then Daniel Ebert says, but in all seriousness, the way Driver plays both of these characters so similarly, uh, oh well, no, he says he ruined the movie for him. I love that bit. I love like his poofy hair when he takes the. No, I love the unmasking yeah. of Kylo yeah. Ren. I agree. Daniel Ebert, um, I'm changing your order around. I'm knocking this one off the list. I'm making uh, Brazil your number one. I'm making Beyond Thunderdome your number two, and oh, you didn't have a third one, so but that's these two picks, Daniel Ebert, great picks, awesome work on Brazil and uh, uh, Beyond Thunderdome. Force Awakens. So are we gonna have the a similar? Are we gonna have the same um, runner-up, Tom? Oh, I got a bunch. Um, All right. Okay. Yeah. Keith Leith, the only listener whose name is more fun to say than Arthur Jim Valella Jelly, <laughs> says. I'll reserve. Oh, good Lord. I'll reserve the signal. And again, I, I think that and get excited that he's talking about the AJ Bowen one. But nope, it's the Brendan Thwaites one. So some names are fun to say: Keith Leith, Arthur Jilvalella Jelly, Brendan Thwaites. That's a terrible name to say. It like messes up your tongue. It just feels weird in your mouth. Brendan Thwaites. So Keith Lee says he'll reserve that Brendan Thwaites movie for when I do back of the head reveals. Uh, he says it's a doozy. Number three, Body Double. Uh, my enjoyment of this most bonkers of De Palma's Hitchcocks is f- for the VHS generation. Already at high levels with one, char- with one of the characters has his extra face torn off, was boosted by the sudden thought that the lead, Craig Wasson, who Keith Leith says we all probably know as Dr. Sullivan in Plague – in Texas, Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh, Craig Wasson looks a bit like Tim Allen off of Home Improvement, a show on which I am led to understand Allen regularly uttered an inarticulate masculine grunt of bafflement and or frustration. Entertaining this thought allows the viewer to improve or at least amend body double by playing a sound clip of that surprised grunt noise at the appropriate moments, namely when the protagonist is lustfully spying on a young lady when he's frustrated by landscapes in landscapers in his pursuit of the young lady, when he purloins the discarded panties of the young lady, etc. Wow. So it's a Tim Allen impression in Body Double with Craig Wasson. Basically, that, that I think that's what all that's getting at. Yeah. All right. It's interesting. I don't remember the panties. I don't either. I don't remember any panties being purloined. Is yeah. Body uh, Double the drill one? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. Wait, there's a face reveal in that. Isn't there? Is that John Lithgow? <laughs> no, when the Indian who does the drill takes off his mask or something, and then he's not an Indian. John Lithgow's a ra- the Raising Cain. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Cain. Is, is, yeah, okay. There's the transvestite 
that's a whole other trend. Wait, is twins in raising? Kill. At any yeah, rate, raising yeah, Kane is twins. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't I don't remember the specifics of this body double, but apparently, yeah, he's griefing Craig Wasson. Uh, who I think I, looks I, like I Bill Maher. You think who looks like Bill Maher? Craig, Craig Wasson. He's like Bill Maher, isn't he? Like they've got uh, a they're the same okay. general face. Yeah. There I don't know some. where he's Tim Allen uh, likeness. Uh, yeah, Dingus, what, what was that? Oh, I was just going to say, I forgot that Keith Lee uh, was talking about Brad Pitt's weird running and his weird hands, and he says he's taken to calling him the claw. <laughs> uh, Brad Pitt did weird hands just fine in Assassination of Jesse James. I don't know what his deal was here. Because remember, he had that his, his, his oh. uh, fingers were cut off in that, so he had to constantly keep his fingers tucked in. He did um, weird hands fine. Yeah, I remember it, that... Uh, but, by the way, the, did you know the music? The music was done by the same dudes who did Assassination of Jesse James in War Machine. Yeah. No, Dingus, really? I'll, never, I'll never believe you. All right. Number two, I'm sure this one you guys will like. Top secret. Ah. Peter Cushing <laughs> plays the proprietor of a shop selling Swedish books. Who, in a hilarious twist, is encountered in a shop with a Danish-Norwegian patronymic name. Jorgensen, uh, and is revealed to be the first person you'd ask if you needed someone to keep an eye on something. All right, you guys are going to have to let me know. Is that a jail-worthy offense? Because I have no idea what he's getting at. Uh, his eye's super big. It's, he's looking through a magnifying glass. And then oh, and then it's Peter the Cushing. Magnifying glass down. Yep. Well, Very and his eye's still really big. He has a giant eye. Ew. Oh, God. Ew. Uh, okay, that's freaking me out. All right. So keep, it's like the sunglass gag. Uh, freakier. Plus, it's Peter Cushing, so that's fun. They got him to wear a fake eye. All right. The fact that it's Peter Cushing, I'll I'll let it slide then. In his moment of triumph? (sighs) You think of Peter Cushing in Star Wars. I think of Peter Cushing as the guy in Twins of Evil. That's the difference between you and me, Kelly Wand. Uh, Keith Lee. Think of him as the guy my mom gets mixed up with Christopher Lee. She's like, which one's which? And they're like, nothing alike to me. And I'm like, really? Of all the two Well, people? that I can understand from Hammer Horror. Like, that's that makes kind of sense. If you I get Abbott mixed up with Costello. That's kind of what it's like. It's like you're mixing up Laurel and Hardy. I'm not sure I could tell you which is the fat one in Abbott. Oh, no, Lou at Luke. Oh, shoot. Costello's right. the fat one. No. He's the one with a fat name with all the O's in it. Ah, you've given skinny me the one. It's got all the skinny letters in his right. name. But I can't, I can't fault your mom if she doesn't know horror for not knowing Cushing from Lee. Like if she's not she does it every movie, like if it's a movie, she's like, she'll still think Christopher Lee's in Star Wars. You know what I'm going to do for you, Kelly Wan? What I'm going to do for you, I'm going to sit down with your mom and watch Twins of Evil because that'll get her straightened out. Wow. Would your mom, Kelly, have gotten the Mo Howard joke? The, no. Of course right. not. But she, the, tw- the word twins will confuse her a lot. Like, wait, they're both in this? One, which twins? Christopher Lee. Those aren't the twins. She got confused. She didn't know which twin was which in Twins. <laughs> Number one from Keith Lee, The Omega Man. The year is 1977. Uh, Robert Neville cuts quite a dash. The boutiques and haberdasheries are his oyster, and he avails himself of their bounty. Ergonomic wear. The film opens with Neville clad in a khaki safari jacket, affording the proud wearer good camouflage and the practicality of numerous well-placed pockets. Formal wear. Neville dines sporty. So he's describing, I guess, what Charles... Uh, the fabrics he's wearing. What's the face reveal? <laughs> One day... So there's a couple paragraphs here. One day he's off 
rifling through a selection of track suits, eschewing, okay, it's not clear how long he's been doing it. The film yeah. alludes to the apocalypse of 75. The, so right. uh, he's enticed by a wardrobe, uh, his sharp flight suit, okay. His sharp flight suit and peaked cap combo, an outfit that assures those who behold. I don't. I don't see a face. This is basically a description of what he's wearing in the movie. I could listen to this forever, to be honest. Charlton has to close. Really try to read it. Yeah. yeah, this is anime for old people. Yeah, it is. <laughs> the, the the fashion in Omega Man. The email. All right. Basically, listen. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a couple paragraphs of it, and I don't think there's a face reveal at the end. So he's just making uh, you words like Dacrod and polyester. <laughs> Tom. Well, there's chartreuse. The word chartreuse here. Wait, now is there a fucking face reveal in Omega Man? Come on. There I mean, it says, it says one day he's rifling through tracksuits. Yeah. Um, and and he's enticed by wardrobe. He befriends enticed Black by the wardrobe of two person sweeps of clothing outlets. He befriends her, a personal shopper, and he sends her out to gather garments. Oh, one day she removes her headscarf and outsized shades and reveals that for not adequately explained plot reasons, she has sold out to the man and is too white for him. <laughs> I think he's making – is Charlton Heston's girlfriend black in Omega Man or – Yeah, she's black and you see her knobs and it's, P, it's a PG movie. So this woman in a uh, – in, in sunglasses and a headscarf is a vampire? It's That's a the sunglass. reveal? yeah. Why didn't he just say the chick who's a vampire in Omega Man? Because <laughs> she has grace. See, it's sunglasses again, too. We think of that. But a headscarf as well. What? That's a head, not a face. You don't wear a headscarf on your face. Uh, Jesus. Runner up is you wear it on your penis. His runner yeah. up is the is the uh, opening of Excalibur. Which I didn't I didn't remember this. You guys know that's uh that's Gabriel Byrne. What? Yeah, it's Gabriel too. Byrne who gets laid in the opening of Excalibur. Who's like, He's I gotta Spencer. have sex with that with that chick, uh, Merlin. Make me brand. Yeah, it's it's Gabriel Byrne as Uther. What's the face reveal? Uh, that he's not that he's disguised as her husband. I'm assuming. We know it's him. <laughs> it's not a face reveal. Uh, Keith Leith calls it procreative shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, on Borman's part. <laughs> All right. Arthur Jovalala Jelly, Star Trek Into Darkness. We don't see the face of Khan. Jesus Christ. Here's should have picked Dingus. We don't see the face of Khan, Benedict Cumberbatch, during his first appearance on screen. It's not until after he shows up wearing a hood to fend off some Klingons that his face is finally uh, shown. Yeah, take oof. that, Ricardo Montalban, with your fantasy island face. Arthur didn't say that. I said Into Darkness. <laughs> Arthur Jovalala Jelani, number two. Mission Impossible. I wondered how long it would take to get to yeah, these. Yeah, me too. Because yeah. the uh, these are these cromulent. During the opening scene, we see a few guys talking on a monitor until one gives the other a name. After that, oh, which makes me... After that, one of the men is drugged and passes out, and the other rips off his face to reveal he's actually Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise. It's the first time Cruise's face appears in the movie, and the first time we've seen the super-realistic Mission Impossible masks. The moment almost seemed to play off the movie's marketing in which Cruz was prominently featured because he spent the entire first scene wondering where he is. <laughs> it also sets up the movie's use of masks and how you shouldn't assume everything is what it seems. These mask tricks have been used ever since, and they're usually pretty good moments. Yep, sure, I'm with that. That's impossible. 
Here we go. Masks. I, I I figured this one this would be in here because all it, pretty much this qualifies for so many three by threes. Of course, this one. Arthur chooses the prestige, and he apologizes for keeping on using it. But Arthur, rock on. Yeah. Uh, he he just has to pick the moment when the face of the man who shoots Hugh Jackman comes out of the shadows and is shown to the audience. It's set up to seem like Jackman was shot by his rival. Um, but when the man's face is revealed, it showed to be the rival. Oh, okay. Well, basically, it's who shoots him that's the reveal. Uh, this face reveal also illuminates Bale's method for performing the transported man, the secret that Jackman has been chasing for years. Ah, right. I love this moment, Arthur says, especially if I'm watching this movie with someone who's never seen it before. Observing their reaction is great fun. Yeah. Good good one, Arthur. Jamadi was great in that movie. <sighs> Jeez. Nick D, Return of the Jedi, a strange bounty hunter who likes to hold thermal detonators and say Yoto Yoto releases Han Solo from Carbonite. He can't see, he doesn't recognize the voice, so the bounty hunter pulls off the helmet to reveal she's Mark Hamill. Oh, no, whoops, I misread it. Princess Leia. You hear the way he said said that? Kelly, Yoto Yoto. Yeah. That's what Nick wrote, Yoto Yoto. I've never heard a Star Wars phrase before. I have to stumble through it because I know. So I, I know. Okay, I know Utini. I know uh, Metaclorian. Metaclorian. <laughs> I know. He's gonna try to that do was a taunt. Another part of Afghanistan. I can do taunt ones. Ready for a tauntaun? Marble, Yaggle, gackle. Right. See. I have the card. Well, what's the yoto yoto thing? How do you guys do it? I already did it. Yoto. 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 You got to sound a little more racist. Like, you got to find your Lucas. All right. Yoto. Yoto. <sighs> you guys. What? What? Kelly wants you. just reverse it and listen. But anyway, I already did the Vader, it. The Vader face reveal is later in the movie, and that's why you don't remember the Leah face reveal. Because you go, oh, yeah, face reveal, Vader. But it's kind of a lame face reveal that no one would ever pick because it's boring. What? Vader's mask being taken off? And yeah. showing that he's like a broke old man? Come on. That's I don't huge. That's that the, is huge. One of the best. I'm surprised it wasn't Dingus' number one pick. It's one of my runners up. I love that. How can you – How dare you? Why are you hating on Star Wars, Kelly Wand? Does, uh, oh, oh. Does Mark Hamill throw back the hood of a robe at the end of Force Awakens? Yes. That's what Sweet. I thought they were going with. Got it. Nailed it. Oh, my God. Who's that? The one Who time it's that? not – Oh, it's the guy she wants to see. The one time it's not dumb when you throw your hood back. <laughs> what? Kelly's Kelly's way of doing that scene is, oh, it's the guy she went to see. (laughs) Yeah. Oh wait, do we know she's going to see him? But it's him. It's like it's like Dingus said. Like Dingus is all into like how hot Ricardo Montalban looks. Like that's how kind of Mark Hamill looks at the end of Force Awakens. So what if you know she's going to see Luke Skywalker? You're like, yeah, cool. Look how grizzled and tough and awesome he looks. Oh, does he get to see? Can't wait for the next movie. This this scene. Oh no. No, you gotta wait. You gotta wait for the next movie, Kelly Wand. It's how yeah, we felt. So great. Yeah. yeah, it's just yeah. like you felt about the end of Empire Strikes Back. J.J. Abrams doing it all over again to you. What? Yep. Number two, Mick, Nick D. chooses Mission Impossible. In the beginning of what's become a running gag, the first scene of the movie has Emilio Estevez watching surveillance footage. Is that true? Emilio Estevez turns into Tom Cruise? Yeah. No, Emilio Estevez gets his face Yo. stabbed in an elevator. Yeah, by after, after one of them passes out, one of the Russians walk. Oh no, no, right, right. After one of them passes out, one of the Russians walks out of frame, comes into the room, and then reveals the next one pulling off his face. Okay, 
and that's Tom Cruise playing Peter Graves. The only problem is it looks totally like Tom Cruise in age makeup. Mm, It's probably not what you want to make your magic Mission Impossible face to look like. Just like Tropic Thunder and Prometheus, the other two times we saw that. Number one, Watchmen. Rorschach is investigating the apartment of an old retired supervillain when the cops show up. He fights his way out, but in a chase. But in a true subversion of the masked vigilante story, he doesn't get away. The police – oh, yeah. The police catch him and pull his mask off, revealing oh. General Haley while he screams, give me back my face. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's great. That's great. I thought about it. So I oh, I there. forgot that. Uh, Nick D. says, I highly recommend reading the chapter of Watchmen – Nick D., it's a movie. Why would we read it? Reading the chapter <laughs> of Watchmen where Rorschach is unmasked, the layout – is entirely symmetrical, like a Rorschach ink blot. Oh, <laughs> Nicky, I think that's a cool detail. I'm not making fun of you. I was going to, but now that you said that, that's cool. No, I like. Kelly Wan thinks that Doctor Manhattan is a, a face reveal. <laughs> He's walking around with his face out the whole time. Yeah. Justin D. Heard. He's in blue face. Says this is probably the worst of them. Simply because it fails the criteria of revealing someone we know, but instead the actor. That's okay, Justin. Here's a line from the film. Ain't nobody listening today. The uh, movie is – oh, yes, Kelly Wand? Uh, cool Hand Luke. No, Song of the South. No, uh, Southern Comfort. In Rush Hour 3, we have a mysterious <sighs> sniper whose face is obscured by some magnificent hair. Every Sweet. shot features the back of his head or just enough shadow or an object obscured his face as Jackie Chan chases him. When Jackie Chan catches up with the sniper's back to him, I got so excited because I recognized it was Hiroyuki Sanada. What do you think of that, Kelly? Uh, I don't like movies where the title implies that it can only be one of them. Like, it's a rush hour. Uh, oh, it's another rush hour. Different. Come on. What? Ridiculous. Uh, See the mouth that is coming out of my face. Hiroyuka Sanada, uh, he says it's an awful reveal because it's focused on a character actor reveal rather than anybody we've been introduced to previously. Add to that, he's Chan's brother in the film. Awful, Justin D. Hurd says, but so damn good. That's actually a good good angle. Like, uh, like. Yeah. The whole, hey, this actor is in it. Like, can you think of those as face reveals? Because I constantly, I, Dingus, you're the same way. I love going into movies not knowing the cast where the movie doesn't have credits up front. And they get, oh, look, this actor's in it. That actor's in it. Oh, she's in it. Like, those are kind of face reveals. What just, I wanted to, go ahead. I wanted to do Bill Murray in Zombieland, but it yeah. wasn't like a face reveal. But that so kind of, what, yeah, okay. That, that, but that's sort of my favorite, like, what? Is but it's but yeah, you know, you had to get that sunglasses thing in instead. That's it's a good you got your priorities straight. There. Oh, the fly! Yeah, get those sunglasses in. Those are hilarious. Pulling sunglasses and you couldn't see a face because you don't see any face around sunglasses. You just see the sunglasses. Yeah. It's amazing. You don't see the whole face. It's like an eclipse. It's a, it's called an eclipse. Wait, the no, because cool. eclipse. Chris yeah, Markinson. Hey Put guys, before you get to him, I just want yes. to say the name Hiroyuki Sanada again. I just love the way that guy's name sounds. Do you know who that is? I don't know who that is. He was in Life. And in Sunshine. Oh. Wait, and what else, Dingus? Sunshine. Oh, I thought it was a Jackie Chan character's name. I'm dumb. Is he the captain? Oh, he was the captain in Sun. Wait, is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man, he works in space a lot. Yeah, well, yeah, you know. He likes it up there. I just Who's love the his name, Hiroyuki Sonata. I mean, what a great name. It just rolls off your tongue. 
He has who's sun the, in his name, and he's in sunshine. Uh, who's the guy who plays the navigator who's also in The Martian? The Asian uh, – Benedict Wong? That can't be right. No. No, you're right. I think you're right. I yeah, think you're right. Yeah. That guy works in space a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Markson. Kelly Wan, I didn't even notice they were both Asian. You didn't have to go there, you know. Oh, I mean two actors that we just mentioned right. were in the space movie. <laughs> yeah, I think Kelly Wan just revealed his face. Yoto Yoto. Chris Markinson says <laughs> Yoto Yoto. It's just like YOLO the way you say it. I don't know. Martian accent. Here are some face reveals I really like. I have a feeling at least two of my three picks will already be taken. By the way, it's fine it's already taken. We like when you guys explain why you chose it. So it doesn't right. matter if someone else picked it. It doesn't matter if you've got that sunglasses thing from – oh, uh, you know what, Chris Markinson? Like, for instance, if you chose Crying Game, we just want to know why. Feel free. That might be one of Markinson's choices, right, Kelly Wand? It's an exhibition, not a competition, so no wagering. <laughs> Number three. Um, I don't think I said that right. Is that what you're thinking? I don't know how I feel about this one. Uh-oh. I kind of even don't want to read it. Uh, the Witch. His face is somewhat obscured by a hat, but Black Phillips' uh, manifestation has a nice face reveal from the shadows during a conversation with Thomason. That's a hoof reveal. I think I know what Markinson's getting at, but uh, I wish. Are you Sarah afraid of spoilers? Is more. that what you? No, 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 no. I mean, I, well, I don't want to spoil it. In addition to also, but what what Markinson's getting at, like, it's not. I mean, okay, animals have faces, so okay, fair enough, Markinson. <laughs> Tom is allowing that animals have faces. Okay, <laughs> we can stipulate that for the jury. I guess. Okay, animals have faces penises don't have faces that's so far what the legal ruling is just so folks know wait number penises two, have what they don't have faces see this they, is this is the one i thought of i love this number two yeah, one eye. yeah one eye i believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger that's ah. chris Parkinson's quote from dark knight i really like the joker pulling off his mask at the start of dark knight after oh. he stuffed a grenade in william fickner's mouth that's exactly that's great uh chris markinson that is damn a, chris yeah uh and the, oh what markinson what are you psychic or are you guys collaborating markinson says dingus will have spoken about this great revealing of khan's face on seti alpha v jesus christ <sighs> wrath of khan yeah. Think is you can't no copying off someone else's work. Did you what? Star did Trek V is Final Frontier. Well, did well, you just think? say no copying off someone else's work? Yep. Because Chris Markinson said Dingus will have already spoken about it. Obviously, Chris Markinson wrote this down and knew you were copying off his work. Yeah. It's like a Comey memo. <laughs> did, you, did you say a Comey memo? Yeah. <laughs> well, Let's hold that thought. Sound. Hold that thought uh, okay. until Thursday. Well, the yeah. thing is, I mean, we did. I, I knew Chris was going to pick this, um, and I asked him to make a gift for me for, because I knew the, the two of us were going to talk about this. All right, if that's um, your. And so, the quote he would have said is, "You didn't expect to find me here. You thought this was Santi Alpha Six, um, and uh, so." I, I just knew that because both of us love Wrath of God so much. Uh, I should probably check that movie out again. I, I, you know, I know I liked that movie when I was when I was a child. I should maybe check it out again. See if it after a head trauma. 
<laughs> just I don't think I don't. Here's the thing, thing is I don't think I can go back to original Star Trek members. Like they're just goofballs. And plus, I like Chris Pine. I like what Zachary Quinto's doing. Even into Carl Urban, and uh, you know, I feel bad about Anton Yelchin. Like that to me is Star Trek. Going back and watching this dippy William Shatner dude, I just can't imagine that would ever work for me again. They've well, lived too long and prospered too much. I, I actually. Lost. I actually went back and tried to watch the um, the original series version of when Khan is actually introduced because I was hoping there's a corresponding facial reveal. That's got to be really terrible, not. Though. Like those early – those original series. Isn't that terrible? Seeds and jizz. Not if you love them. I mean oh, well. not if you – not if you have – you have <laughs> sort of a sent- – it's just sentimental. Right. Um, I like it stoned. And so he's just basically in this like he's just in repose in this cryosleep thing. So you don't really have a facial reveal, but the facial reveal in Wrath of Khan is amazing. It's so great, and and Chris Markinson made a great gift of it. Uh, so check out the forum if you're listening and uh, have a look at what Dingus is talking about. Yeah, I so, definitely uh, will. I'll, I'll definitely post that. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing about actor face reveals makes me think of. Because uh, Spielberg knew what he was doing, all that early bit of Raiders of the Lost Ark where he's assiduously not showing us Indy's face until he steps forward in the light after he whips the guy's gun. Like it's all oh, – that moment is basically, we got him solo. <laughs> like it's like – because there's Wait, no reason – they're going to do that with Tom Selleck? Like uh, – it's- Yeah, exactly. There's no reason we should care about this is Indiana Jones. We should care about – what we're caring about is this is Harrison Ford. Awesome. I mean, and we know that because we saw his name on the marquee, but he's basically taking, he's playing with us and taking a moment before showing us why we came to see the movie. It's because we love Han Solo. We want to wow. see what this new thing is doing. Cause it that whole bit, cause yeah. it's totally a face reveal the way it's shot. Like when he steps, you know, you don't see his face. You don't see his face. You don't see his face. Alfred Milley is looking at him. His face is out of the frame. His back is to us. You don't see his face. And then, he steps out of the light, and the you know Spielberg makes it a, a to do about hey, here's the face of Indiana Jones, pretty cool, huh? Uh, and they, oh. he shows you a shadow in the bar. He's like, yeah, he's gonna be in this scene. With oh, in a, in a later movie, you mean? Or oh, oh I see, oh, right, right, later in the movie. Karen Allen, right, right, yeah. When I'm really thinking of like hat reveals, I was thinking of Man with No Name, like Clint Eastwood type of things. You know, the, him coming into frame and, and raising up his head. Oh, oh, I see. Right, right, right. Exactly. Like the brim, moving the brim out of frame so you can see the face. Right, right. Yeah. Right. That move's hard to pull off if the camera's not on you. Take it from me. <laughs> Raise your head slowly and look at something, and you're the only one in the room. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> weird. <laughs> Even in a mirror. Plus, you're wearing a bonnet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, thanks for reminding me. Thanks. Uh, I was thinking of Moon, but Moon cheats. I remember I, – I forgot the – Moon's what? where you reveal another body part. <laughs> what do you mean, Moon cheats? What are you talking about? Moon that cheats. whole cheat and the, the narrative twist. Like the, the Moon is based on the whole, the whole narrative threat. Like the whole thing that Moon is doing with its storytelling is based on the fact that we, the audience, don't see – uh, a swap He's a ghost place. the whole time, right? Isn't that that? No, like we don't see. I mean, everybody knows Moon by now. Don't listen if you haven't. You've seen Moon. Uh, you know when when he crashes the uh, the the moon truck, whatever it's called. I'm sure it has a cooler name. He crashes the moon truck, and the then yeah, oh, very good, Dingus. I bet you're right. Uh, and then he uh, we transition to him. 
oh, no, no, he's rescuing. He finds the crashed moon truck, and he rescues the guy out of it, right? And yeah. he sees that it's him. And then later on, we switch into the perspective of the one being rescued and woken up. Oh, like okay. we know we're with one character through the movie and the movie tricks us by not letting us know that it has jumped narrative perspectives. And I'm okay with that, by the way. I don't I don't think of it. It's a, it's a cheat in the sense that uh, maybe cheats the wrong word, but uh, it does things. It, it tricks us. And that's I'm okay with it, us being tricked, but it tricks us by not giving us information that we would know in another movie. All right. Other runners up. What do you guys have for face reveals? Because what was the one that you thought we would both have? Uh, I thought uh, Return of the Jedi, the Vader thing from Return of the Jedi. Oh, was, well, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's, but we, I think most of the things that I was thinking of we covered as we were talking. So. Well, isn't uh, when when Obi Wan you find out? Oh, he's not a weird Tuscan Raider making that noise. Like that's right. is that like we're supposed to? Is that supposed to be like, hey, we have Alec Guinness? Like that's what that is, right? Is that, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, when I was a kid, I didn't know who Alec Guinness was. So to me, it was right. like, oh, look, it's an old man, not a dragon. Huh. <laughs> exactly. Interesting. Interesting twist. Thank you, George Lucas. <laughs> Is it? And I love the way that Bar Camel looks at the end of. Uh, uh, good Lord, I can't even think of the name of the movie now. Uh, Force Awakens, The Revenge of Kylo Ren. Rilo <laughs> Thank you. I keep going to call it Force Alliance for some reason. Um, but yeah, I love the way he looks at that. I like, cause I can't grow a decent beard, but I like his scraggly beard. And I like, I just like the way his face looks so weathered, but still so handsome and his hair is so long. Uh, I'm going to need a moment. <laughs> All right. You, so it, Pinkus is going to start writing some slash fic about Ricardo Montalban and yeah. Mark Hamill. Sounds we'll right. that posted, uh, with the I gift thought- con. When Toby Wan was doing that thing, I also remember thinking when I was a kid, because you hear him do the dragon thing, and then it cuts to him stumbling down some rocks in his robe. And I thought, dude, what are you doing? You're showing you're, that you're not a dragon in plain view of the Tuscan Raiders. Now they're not going to run away, but then they run away anyway. Why are they easily? Call- yeah. Oh, they, oh, Dingus, go ahead quote Star Wars. Oh, go ahead. Why are they called yep. what? I just wonder why they're called Tuscan Raiders. Like, what is Tuscan? Is it a place on Tatooine? Because Sam Peoples is a slur in that is it an ethnic group? We don't know. They Tuscan they're from, raid. They're from Italy. Oh, <laughs> Dingus. I didn't even think I of like that. You. Yeah, very nice, Dingus. Uh, I love face reveals where you have no idea who it is. Uh, and I'm thinking of your next. In the movie, your next, <laughs> they pull off the mask. You're like, nope, don't know. It's just some masked yeah. dude. This is not the part of the movie where we reveal information. No one knows who this <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that bit. <laughs> Don't know why they're wearing masks, but uh, nobody knew who they were, so they could have just been without the masks, and the same thing would have happened. Who knows? Mascot. <laughs> or you see Tom Cruise's name in the credits, and then he's like not in the movie, and then there's someone wearing a mask for the whole movie, and you go, oh, it's going to be him or Johnny Depp. And then. Is it a, a face reveal? Um because I because I feel that this is it's use of a face like the face is a huge plot point, but it's not a reveal. Some and the moment when you see it isn't really played up because of the way the movie is shot. But in the beginning of Irreversible, when you don't really know what's going on, it's clear that the director is prominently featuring this guy who's got a big broad face laughing, 
when yeah. Vincent Cassell murders someone else. Like that, that guy's clearly in the frame for a reason. You don't know why, but later on when you see his face and you get this you know, that's the sickening part of that movie is knowing what happened and the implications and how things turned out. But the way that that guy's face has to be featured early on so that you then recognize it later on is kind of a weird face reveal. Not the typical throw back the hood thing, but uh, that was one I thought of as well. At the end of Murder by Death, Alec Guinness takes his face off and turns out to be the crazy maid who was didn't have a tongue. And she starts <laughs> laughing, so now she Whoa. has a tongue. And I remember thinking as a kid, I was trying to rationalize and watch the movie again and go, wait, how is that possible? Like, I didn't realize it was just gibberish for its own sake. Like, it's just – they. The joke is that it doesn't make any sense. But it's like, wait, so that's the maid, and then his body's in there. That's freaky. Yeah. I really thought everything had to make sense when I was a kid. I was like Harold Ramis. So yes. is since you said face-off, does uh, after uh, surgery... Uh, uh, like you. Yes, of course. I was sure someone would mention that. I don't know the movie well enough to pick a moment out, though. Take uh, one fucking guess. Remember when he I, says that? He's smoking a cigarette with his face off. I, I have the opposite of a face reveal. Uh, there's there's the bit in uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy where uh, Gary Oldman has the monologue, Smiley has a monologue about meeting uh, his, his arch nemesis on the Soviet side, a guy who's constantly referred to in the movie. Uh, his name is Karla. He's sort of his counterpart in, in Russia. Uh mm. And uh, he confesses at one point to Benedict Cumberbatch when he's sort of taken him under his wing and there he trusts him uh, and he knows that Benedict Cumberbatch is going to have to make great sacrifices and they have drinks together. And, and Gary Oldman has this amazing monologue where he's slightly drunk and he's opening up to Benedict Cumberbatch about how he once met Carla, this guy who is their nemesis. Uh, and it's just an amazing scene for how Gary Oldman relives the scene. At a certain point, he talks to an empty chair, uh, and he's explaining how Carla was kind of a, uh, a defect, a, a potential defector back in the fifties, like years ago. And he, Smiley, was sent to during the course of trying to recruit a bunch of potential defectors. Carla was one of them, and he went by a different name at that point. He didn't know this was Carla. Uh, and while he's and he's explaining trying to convince. Carla, this Russian spy who's about to have to go back to Russia where he'll probably be executed, he's trying to convince this Russian spy, come over to the US, come join us. He's convincing him to defect. And Gary Oldman explains during this scene everything he's doing with this guy and everything, you know, his technique for trying to get back then Russian spies to defect and how he brings up, you've got a wife at home, right? We could bring her over, we could make a good life for her. Uh, and he, he confesses. That he had no idea at the time, Carla was never said a word, and the whole time was playing him, was letting him reveal things about himself by the technique he's using to try to sway Carla over. Because he says at the beginning of the monologue, Anne and I were having a hard time at that point. My wife and I were having a hard time. And how Carla finds out everything he needs to know by just not talking and basically – how he learns all about like like how how much they have in common and how he smiley misses all of this he's completely oblivious to how carla has completely trumped him at this moment and, uh, and it it's it's sort of like the his great failure that's been hanging over his head 
all his career. And the really heartbreaking moment, I love this, is because this is the guy they're looking for. This is a guy that is the key to, to breaking down the Soviet uh, intel machine. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch, after the monologue, says to him, what did he look like? And it's just heartbreaking Gary Oldman's response to that. I can't remember. He has, he has all this moment, like this man who's trained to observe, to learn things, to notice things, to remember things. Uh, can't remember. Carlo was so good that he doesn't even remember his face. He doesn't even remember what he looked like. I love that moment in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. But not a face reveal. It's the opposite. So I'll save that for my uh, face faces unrevealed three by three. What about Lake Mungo? Is that a face reveal? I think so. Yeah, that's a good one, Kelly Wand. I don't right, know. If that's yeah. my number one now. <laughs> I was trying. So, uh, do you guys know the movie uh, Calvary? The the uh, is it Neil? Yeah. I confuse Neil and Martin McDonough. It's the, I think it's Neil McDonough. Uh, you yeah, know that, yeah. right, Dingus? Yeah. I love that movie, and it's not really a face reveal, but at the beginning. You know, it's a priest sitting in a confessional booth, and a guy comes in and sits down and says, "In a week, I'm going to kill you. Uh, meet me at the beach." And the rest of the movie is kind of a whodunit, like DOA, where he's trying to investigate who's going to murder me. Um, and when he shows up at the beach on that Sunday, uh, it's not a reveal so much as just someone walking in from the distance. Uh, but I love that moment where we see, yep, okay, that's that's the guy, because he knows it's someone from his community. It's, it's one of his uh, congregation members. Uh, I love that reveal. Hmm. All right. Well, Kelly Wand, barring any more runners up, what's our three by three going to be next week? All right, well, we've done car chases, and we've done uh, oceans. So this week, the 3x3 three three topic is three best things hit by a speeding car. <laughs> oh, wait. Best things hit by a speeding car? Yeah, like a fruit cart or something. Which Are those off the table? No. Okay. If you want to be that guy. All wait. right. So three best things... So the things are the thing. Three best uh, things, things or people hit, hit by a Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. People now. That's well, a difference. It's a noun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ergo, they're the same thing. <laughs> All right, people. All right. I think so, the president was perfectly clear in his tweet. Cafe, fe, uh, speedy car. So a uh, car is any kind of vehicle or just a car? Uh, any kind of vehicle. But War of the Worlds vehicles are obviously cars used by Martians. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're uh, Mars instead of cars, you say. Okay. Oh, so it doesn't have to be a car, like four wheels driving around. It can be a That movie was originally called Car of the Worlds. Did you know that? <laughs> I like your Mars riff better. And you know who wrote it was... Uh... Yes, go on. <clears throat> Can't wait. Shel Silverstein. Jackie oh no, Sydney Sheldon. Shoot, I confused him. No, Sydney Sheldon wrote Robot Monster. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wan, speaking of Robot Monsters, what are we seeing next week? Next week, it's a little confusing because we're doing. No, Wonder so, Woman I mean, we just tell yeah, we just tell folks what what we're doing next but, week. And but some people may think, oh, well, they just skipped Wonder Woman. We'll because. catch up, right? We'll we'll catch up. Germany, w- Germany can't stop us. My theory like, is because the Germans are the bad guys in Wonder Woman. Is well, I didn't. Stop, tell, stop talking. I don't know um, what's true. What do we see? The question was, what do we see next week? Next week, we're seeing a, uh, a movie that taps more into people's fears of Egypt, which is yeah. 
and our fears of Tom Cruise. And yeah. Sophia Boutel. Isn't that her name? Sophia Boutel? Oh, the aptly named. <laughs> Probably uh, didn't say it right. But. Wow. So what's the movie called again? It's called Fear of I Egypt? I think it's just called The Fucking Mummy. The effing mummy. All right. Wow. So if you see the mummy, you're going to, right? What else are you doing this summer? You got to see these things the weekends they come out in case someone from CinemaScore hands you one of those ballots. Go on Friday night. Keep your fingers crossed. You might get to participate in CinemaScore uh, polling. Send us at 3x3 at quarter to three dot com. Just like, uh, let's see, Chris, Keith, and Nick did this week. Send us your thoughts about the movie. Just a line or two. If you have something you're wondering, you want us to talk about, like, uh, is Sophia Boutel? Actually, I don't even know if she's the mummy or whatever. I was going to say, can mummies be women? Is the time is is the time right for that? We'll find out. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, also, if you have, if when Kelly Wan says things, you're like, oh yeah, that movie. Send those picks to three x three at quarter to three dot com, and Kelly Wan will read your anime synopsis on the air. Uh, Make sure to include plenty of proper nouns. What? They don't even know what that means. We, yeah, like a car or a. Uh, <laughs> we need names. Part. Has to have car in the name. So join us for that next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Malinsky. It's Christian Moroski. And with his new job at Netflix, Kelly Wand. <laughs> uh, Leon Uris wrote The Deadly Mantis, by the way. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas, please. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. I love it. Love game, intuition, play the cards with space to start. And after he's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on his heart. Uh, Jacqueline Suzanne wrote Valley of the Dolls, but like the horror movie Valley of the Dolls about just killer dolls. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! Uh, Also, Erwin Shaw wrote uh, Kingdom of the Tarantulas with William Shatner. So, (laughs) you can only put it down to hubris.